All right, mate, and welcome, one and all, for a special edition of the All Right Mate podcast. For today, we explore Christmas with aplomb, but first we say hello to my co-host, Tom. All right, mate. We will talk about our favourite Christmas films, new and old, and festivities from our childhoods will be told. We'll talk about Christmas specials from the old telly box and Christmas music that makes our toes curl in our new Christmas socks. Graham has a Christmas game he'd like to tell you all about, and we'll end with some news to end this festive route. Did you enjoy that, Tom? That was beautiful, mate. What a fantastic introduction to the episode, mate. Up all night writing that last night. Beautiful. Time well spent. Yeah, thank thank you. Good. I thought so. How how are we doing, Thomas? I'm well, mate. Thank you. Yeah, we've got a rainy little Saturday again, haven't we? Um, But we are only a week or so till Christmas holidays begin. It's near. Santa's bells are being shined. Little footsteps on the rooftop can be heard a little pitter patter so last week we talked about the ps1 mm. and as you'll have seen me and tom did a little ask on um facebook and instagram um of your favorite ps1 games so i'm going to quickly go through these so your beloved tom tiff picked ape escape and spyro well, one of those is a good choice, mate. I can't say I've played Ape Escape, but Spyro is definitely a solid choice. Mm, I've not heard of Ape Escape, personally. Uh, Instagram, Da Vinci's Earwig. I don't actually know who you are, but <laughs> you just follow me on Instagram, so thank you for responding. Let's pick Silent Hill, as we mentioned. Mm. Uh, Jess, Harry Potter. Very I imagine nice. that's Philosopher's Stone. I think Chamber of Secrets was, a, was a PS2, wasn't it? Um, Adam Ward said, Metal Gear, grow the F up. He's telling <laughs> us to grow up, Tom. Well, we'll have to Respond take his word for it. violently. Mate. He's an international traveller these days, isn't he? So we'll have to take yeah. his word for it. Living like a little hipster in Maastricht in Holland. Ooh, little craft uh, ale, is it? Oh, yeah. I got Brought your synthesizer with you and your, and your, and your guitar. Going to make it over there, are you? No, we love him dearly. We do. Uh, Deb Steve, Crash Team Racing. Mm, yeah, never played Crash Team Racing, but again, one that's been remastered for PS4, I believe, and these are very well-received game. Mm, more of a Mario Kart man, um, but I played a game similar to that called Speed Freaks, which was a much lesser well-known um, sort of 3D racer. You have just reminded me then, mate, I did mean to out you on last week's episode, where, oh. as Graham has said, we were recording an episode on the PlayStation 1, Graham was sat there in a Super Mario t-shirt, so just showed you where his allegiances lie. Just wanted to make that clear. I'm a complex guy. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Lou Barron, Hercules, as you, um, as Graham, was on your mentioned. Yeah. Uh, my beloved Emma likes the Wii. She thought she'd throw that into that particular conversation. Mickey, <laughs> Metal Gear Solid. Lisa, Pandemonium. Mm, Rich Harker. Rich Harker here, the snare bells ringing. <laughs> Rage Racer. Now, I've heard yeah. of Ridge Racer. Yeah, I've not heard of Rage Racer. Ridge Racer, I've heard of but I can only assume it's a different game to that, unless it was a typo, mate. Who knows? 
We'll have to ask her. She's um, a well-written woman, so I'd expect that um, we just haven't heard of it, mate. She's added to this that the start of this game is weirdly sexy on reflection. Mm. So, you know, we had posters and she had the um, Rage Racer intro as her little um, fun Sexual time. Awakening. Yeah, exactly. Tom Cutforth liked Road Rash. So we got Ridge Racer, Road Rash and Rage Racer. I wouldn't believe a single word that comes out of Tom Cutforth's mouth personally. He's a liar and a scoundrel, mate, and um, a fantasist. So I think His eyes were probably wetting when he um, picked this game up. And again, I'm only joking, Cutty. Love you, mate. Hope you're well. <laughs> um, your, your bro, Rich Rogers, Destruction mm. Derby. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant game. Hours of fun smashing cars up. Yeah, he yeah. always liked to race, I did Rich. If that's the game, if you like smashing cars up, that's the game to get. And finally, Josh Porritt, Army Men 3D. Mm. I'm wondering yeah. if that's a Toy Story spin-off, because there was Army Men on there, wasn't there? Yeah, I'm not sure, mate. I think it is exactly the same thing. But then again, the Army Men that were in Toy Story were very much just the old green plastic Army Men, weren't they? So I do remember the game he's referring to. I never played it, but I can picture it in my head. But it may well have been a, a spin-off, who knows? There we go. So, yeah, thanks. Thank you for your responses there. So next week we're doing the PlayStation 2, so I'll be asking you, and Tom will be asking you, what your favourite PlayStation 2 games are. Mm, we'll put so, that out after this episode, when this episode drops, so we can maybe do a few of them at the start of the episode. That'll work mm, throw some titles our way. Yes. Lovely. So, enough of gaming. We're doing Christmas now. Mm. So, Christmas films, Tom. Christmas films, the thing we the thing we always like to look forward to every Christmas. It's always a debate on when you should watch your first Christmas film. Hotly debated. Some people don't like to watch them too early. Some wait to the first of December. Some wait even later to watch a Christmas film. Well, in normal years gone by, mate, my rule is always the last um, weekend of November is usually when the tree goes up and the Christmas films come out. This year, I think, has been unseasonably strange in a number of different ways. So it all started a bit early for me this year, mate. I think it was probably mid-November when I watched my first Christmas film, so I thought, why not? I think with lockdown and everything that's gone on, people have just used it as an excuse to start Christmas as early as possible, which I absolutely welcome, and I do not blame them one bit. I, I agree, mate, I agree. So, me and Thomas have compiled a list of our top five Christmas films. And so, do you want to go first, Tom, or shall I? Yeah, by all means, mate, I will go first. So, number okay. five, well, what do you want to do? Should we go, should we do our hours in tandem, mate? I'll say my number five, you say your number five, and we'll work our way up through our lists. It's a very good idea, mate. Cool. So, number five on the list for me and, and i must state these five films if you ask me on another day they could well be slightly different because it was just this morning i was thinking through which christmas ones do i like to watch and these are the five that came to mind so in fifth place for me is the wonderful um elf starring will farrell mate um such a funny funny film and i think this is the most modern of the five films on my list despite the fact it's frighteningly mate around about getting on for 20 years old i believe that film it was sort of mid 2000s that came out apparently i was watching a tv show about it the other day which it feels like it's a five ten year old film but it's not it's knocking on for nearly 20 bloody years mate which is ridiculous yeah i mean i can't imagine anybody that 
couldn't possibly like this film. It's just, it's hilarious. It's heartwarming. It's got um, Zoe Deschanel looking absolutely splendid in it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's just it's just hilarious, isn't it? There's um there's like a little making of thing on Netflix at the moment about the film that we um recently watched that's very interesting. It's such a fun, like you say, filming, and I think my favourite bit if I had to pick one has got to be when uh, Zoe Deschanel's in the shower, and it's not because I'm a pervert or anything like that, but when he's when she's singing uh, a little Christmas song and he's there kind of quietly singing along with her, and then it gets to the bombastic bit of the chorus, and he just bellows out the the main <laughs> bit, and obviously she realises he's in there, and nah, it was like that. <laughs> I like the bit where he's having his dinner. Or his breakfast, and he just got a bowl of pasta, and he just pours syrup on it and M and M's and chocolate. Then he, then he picks up the pop tarts and just breaks it into like three pieces and just molds it all together with his hand and just, <laughs> and then just grabs it all and just puts it in his mouth. Oh, so so stupid, so so funny. In any in any good film like that, where there's a good dollop of slapstick humor with someone like will farrell it lives and dies for me by the straight man in the film the person that the kind of goofball plays off and james Carr, obviously of godfather mm. fame just fantastic as his dad in that film and he just the straight laced no nonsense dad who's just not having any of it while he's doing these ridiculous things you know it makes the film for me that yeah so are you uh are you gonna sing a song or um I'm your son. Oh, I love you. I want to go to the zoo with you. So, so, so silly. I always on, on the phone to him and say, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll ring you back in five minutes. Brilliant. Yeah. Got so that's it for me, mate. Number elf. five is Elf. Excellent. Uh, number five for me is um, The Snowman and the Snow Dog. Oh, nice choice. Is that just because you look like the little boy? Well, we'll we will touch upon on this list, but the snowman is like one of my most favourite things ever. So the sequel to it, um, when it came out, I was wondering, is this going to be any good? Is it? Because the snowman is just such a national treasure, isn't it? But it was. I really like the snowman and the snow dog. Um, it's got a great, great soundtrack, and I like how it's sort of kept in with the old animation as well. Mm. So it's 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 modernised, but not too modernised. It hasn't done like, you know, like old Postman Pat used to be stop motion, but you watch it now and it's all 3D. Yeah, not the All same, computer generated and it's just rubbish. But they've not done too much of that with the snowman and the snow dog. Um, touched on the old heartstrings, don't it, when the, um, when the actual dog dies and then he builds a little dog out of snow and then that turns into a real dog. Very, very good. Very good, mate. Classic little um, Christmas film, which I hope receives the same reception as The Snowman in um, when we have a little Bairns of our, our own. Absolutely, mate. Well, I must admit, I have never seen The Snowman and The Snow Dog. I've seen The Snowman, the original mm. one, but I've never seen the sequel, so I might have to add that to my list that needs watching over the next week or two, mate. Yeah, it's a short one. It's like about half an hour long. It's just a nice little... Uh, it's probably on straight after the snowman. On I think it's Channel 4 at the moment these days. It's on Very in the good. morning times. Good for what, opening your presents to. Yeah, nah, well, I'll have to give that a watch, mate. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, number four on my list, mate. I've written down here 
ultimately any version it doesn't matter what version of the scrooge slash christmas carol always at christmas i have to watch one or multiple different versions of, of that film um obviously the famous charles dickens book it's been adapted many many times um a couple of shout outs i would give would be to the uh alistair sims black and white version from i want to say the 50s but don't hold me to that i'm not 100 sure when it came out they also did a good um 3d kind of animation of it disney a few years ago with jim carrey in the role of scrooge um and and also the um absolutely excellent modern version well i say modern it's an 80s version of a scrooge starring bill murray um which is kind of a modern retelling of it and i love anything with bill murray so that's what's in at number four for me mate yeah it's um it's i guess it's just a very easy story to adapt isn't it because it's um a very good little redemption story and all the spirit of Christmas and that. So Muppets Christmas Carol, obviously a yeah. pretty famous adaptation, isn't it? That's one that I should have mentioned, mate. So yeah, that is another absolutely favourite um, family classic in the Rogers household. Very good. Uh, number four for me, Home Alone 2. Very good film, mate. Excellent film. Um Tom shared a very funny thing with me recently where Piers, Piers Morgan <laughs> had to defend himself and quash all rumours that he is indeed the pigeon lady from Home Alone 2. It's an uncanny resemblance, mate. That's all I'm saying. Have you ever seen them it's... both in the same room? Because I haven't. No, never. They're the same person. Don't say they aren't because they are. So, you know. Um, yeah, good old Home Alone 2. Lost in New York, I eh? All lost. Don't, don't, don't know where you are, but you've got your dad's credit card, so it's all good. It is a um, great film, that, mate. It really is. Really great choice. Starring Donald Trump. Yeah. Home Alone Very briefly. Um, yeah, loses fun. a few marks for that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, brilliant film. Very, um, again, great characters. Um, Harry and Marv make a return. It's Harry and Marv, isn't it? It is, mate. Well, as you well know, mate, I think after our top five list, we're going to move on into a deep dive into Home Alone 1, the predecessor of um, Home Alone 2. So we will come back to Harry and Marv. Yeah, don't spoil it, Graham. So, yeah, Home Alone 2 is my fourth on my list. Very good choice, mate, I would say. Um, Number three for me now, this might be a controversial one. Every year I see people arguing the point over, is this a Christmas film or isn't it? But going in at number three for me is Die Hard. Absolutely love this film. And, you know, look, I will say I can watch this film at any time of the year and still enjoy it, but no more so than in the lead-up to Christmas. You've got a nice 80s classic action film um, set in a... A tower block, office tower block, Nakatomi Plaza. You've got terrorists. You've got Rick, um, Alan Rickman, sorry, doing a, a, a lovely German accent as Hans Gruber, the international terrorist slash bank thief. You've got some nice little Christmas music in places there and, and a happy ending at the end, mate. So for me, it is a, a Christmas film. I haven't watched it. You've never seen Die Hard? Never seen Die Hard. Oh, mate. Come on now. Come on now. I know, know we've just lost our entire audience, probably. You've lost your co-host, mate, nearly. I've lost a lot of things. 
lot of things have been lost. I will watch it this year. Do it. I'll Let us know what, what you think. I'll tell you what, mate. Try and watch it before next week and tell us what you think about it on the next episode. I, I played the demo of it on an old demo disc. I think the games are good. The one on the, it was one that there was is Die Hard two in an airport. It's it one is, in an yeah, airport. yeah, and that's yeah, also a Christmas a, film. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, so I've not seen it. I'm really sorry, um, but yeah, I shall watch it. Um, yeah, got <laughs> nothing to add to that because I've not seen it, but I will. Very disappointing, you may, but I think you'll enjoy it. So get it watched. Okay, okay. Lovely. Uh, number three for me was Elf. So yeah. there we go. Um, so what's your num- number two number two for me is the oldest film on my list and it's it's a wonderful life now this um i, I haven't written the date down here so apologies i should have researched in advance but it's a black and white film mate and it is quite an odd film in that the premise is about a man who is driven to the point of suicide And on Christmas Eve, I think it's Christmas Eve, he's contemplating whether to chuck himself into the river. And there's a lot of reasons why he's been screwed over and he's trying to protect this little town he lives in from this horrible man that's, you know, squeezing all the money out of the town. And he, uh, an angel comes down from heaven and jumps into the water just in front of him so that he has to jump in and save it. And this angel basically goes back and shows him what his life would have been like or what the town he lives in would be like had he never existed and helps him kind of rediscover how big a part he is of um, ensuring the kind of success of the town and the happiness of the people that live there and revitalise him ultimately, mate, to keep living and to um, be the man he sort of intended to be. And it's just a really heartwarming, classic little film. I think um, I would recommend it to anybody. I know it sounds a strange one dealing with such a, a um, serious topic but there's a lot of humor a lot of fun in the film a lot of um sadness as well always gets a tear in my eye mate moments in that film but it's uh an excellent watch very good i think family guy did like a little adaptation of that didn't they in one episode where it was like peter was never born or peter yeah never I think took up drinking or something something similar to that yeah they have done um little take-ups of it i think in the past mate Hmm. Uh, number two for me was Home Alone. Very good. Which again, we're going to explore again later. So, your ultimate number one Christmas film is number one Christmas film for me, mate, is Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, starring Chevy Chase. Um, this is my all-time favorite Christmas film. It's part of the um national lampoon series which is very closely tied to home alone as i'll come on to talk us through and we do a bit of a deep dive into that next but it is such a brilliant little film mate it's about a family man who just wants to give his ever-increasing family size throughout the um, film that turn up for christmas to spend it with them the best possible time they can have and everything that can go wrong goes wrong for him and ends up um in disaster and slapstick humor and comedy maybe watching chevy chase as the ever hopeful dutiful dad trying to make christmas as good as it possibly can be but seeing it all disintegrate before his eyes definitely resonates christmas time where the expectations are so high and often we maybe struggle to to live up to the expectations we set ourselves mate Mm. I just remember the cat. <laughs> yeah. The cat just getting absolutely cremated into the tree. <laughs> it's my dog chewed through our Christmas lights. 
and I'm pretty sure they were on, so I'm surprised the same thing didn't happen to him, to be honest. I think they must have put more safety in place than in the 80s when that takes place, mate. But oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. One of my favourite bits of that film is he's stood at the window on the morning with his little glass of eggnog or whatever it is, and his wife comes down and he's, what are you thinking about, Clark? He's like, oh, I'm just looking out on a quiet winter's morn, the majesty of a quiet winter's morn. I can see an arsehole in his bathrobe emptying his chemical sewer into my toilet. My chemical toilet into my sewer. It always makes me laugh that bit. Cousin Eddie, what a character. Very, very good. Again, one that I'm gonna definitely going to watch again between now and the big day. Yeah, this is one I always save, mate, usually for very close to Christmas. It doesn't get watched until deep into December, that one for me. It's the one I always try and save. Grand job, mate. So... My number one is the snowman, the original snowman. Very good. Now, got a good reason for this, because the little intro scene where it's playing the little theme tune that's going through all the countryside and we see the house in the middle of nowhere and the kids waking up, looking outside his window to see nothing but snow. Now, I lived, um, I grew up in a village called Ravenscar, so this was a very common occurrence. Back in the days, back in the 90s, when it snowed, it really snowed. Not like these days, global warming. But when it snowed, it snowed then. It used to drift. And the snow used to be, like, waist high on me. And it just reminds me of that. Always takes me back to that. Listening to Yorkshire Coast Radio and seeing if our school was shut and stuff. Just takes me back to that. Beautiful, mate. Beautiful. It's very, very, very nostalgic. Um, It's become a very much a tradition, that watching that film. Um, first thing in the morning, it's on YouTube, so just put it on there, opening our presents. Very, very merry, mate. Very, very happy little film. Was it a dream? Did he dream the snowman? Was the snowman really there? Who knows, mate? Well, I think um, before we move on, Graham was going to give us a little rendition of the main song from the snowman. Over to you, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking this the other day because Emma came home with this... um, you know, those massive bags for life you can get. The Snowman, yeah. one of them, which I was oh, delighted with. We're walking in the moonlit sky. There you go. Beautiful, mate. Born a eunuch, I was. <laughs> so, yeah, good old Snowman. Has to be watched with a David Bowie intro. David Bowie intro? I didn't know that. The David, David Bowie was the boy in The Snowman. So, oh. if you watch... The real edition of it, it's him in the attic of this house, and he's got a snow, it's got a scarf or pajamas or something with the snowman on it. So he's cashed in from his experience with the snowman. Yeah, and he does a little intro. Very nice. Well, unfortunately, he's uh, no longer with us, is he, old David? He's no longer with us, but yeah, does a little intro without the labyrinth bulge because that wouldn't have been at all appropriate, not that it was in labyrinth. Yeah, very famous uh, Lothario, wasn't he? It was uh, David Bowie, I think, mate, in his day. So, there you go. We even, when we even went to New York um, for Christmas a couple of years ago, even watched it in New York on YouTube on my phone, because that's it's not that much of a, of a tradition has to be done. Good stuff, mate. Well, I know we're going to come on to talk a little bit more towards the end of the episode about our christmas traditions mate aren't we and mm, our traditional absolutely. family christmases but yeah hopefully you all enjoyed our top five films there um what are your favorite christmas films tell us mm, yeah 
do let us know when we do uh, next week's episode. We will still be very much in the Christmas spirit. So it'll be before Absolutely. the big day. So let us know what your favourite sounds. Anything we've missed from our top fives you'd have had in there. I mean, there are tons of Christmas films that I always have on my list. Those are just five I picked out. And I'll be honest, were we not moving on now to have a look at Home Alone? One in a little bit more detail. I think, in fairness, that would definitely have been in my top five, mm. possibly even the top three, mate. I watched Love Actually last night for the first time. What did you think? Lovely. Yeah, it's it's a very nice film. Does it need to be two and a half hours long? I don't know if it does. But <laughs> I just remember watching it, just like, this isn't coming to any form of conclusion. And it's like, we put it on two hours ago. But yeah, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Very star-studded cast. Yeah. Um, and the little boy is just a little cutie, isn't he? he is, on his mate, drums. He Loved it on when he was playing his drums. He just looked yeah. so funny. Yeah, um, I do like yeah. Love, actually. Yeah, it's a good film. Glad I've watched that film now. As previously mentioned then, so we talked about in one of our Christmas films, the classic, the archetypal, the legendary Home Alone, starring Macaulay Culkin mm. as a archetypal child actor. So, we're going to dig deep into this film now, aren't we? We are indeed, mate. So, as I said, this one was a noticeable absentee from our top five list, mainly because I knew we were going to be coming on to to speak about it. But I've done a little bit of research in advance of this one, mate, just to give us a bit of a production background around the... uh, why the film was made, who it was made by, and a few little factoids, mate. So I was watching, a, I think, a popular Netflix TV show, The Movies That Made Us, and there's a very good, just under an hour-long episode all about Home Alone, which I watched this week, mate, in advance of this. So if you Thanks will do me the pleasure, I will uh, start us off, mate, with a few things you might not know about it. Go for it, mate. Good man. So this film was released November 10th, 1990. It was... Written by the late and very famous 80s director John Hughes, who you may know from some very classic 80s films, The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, And he also had a hand in the National Lampoon series, which was obviously my number one in the Christmas film list, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. Also, Uncle Buck was another one he was involved with. So he'd written this at the time. He was a very, very big, popular director. Um, But he didn't actually direct this film. It was one of his friends, an up-and-coming director, Chris Columbus, who actually ended up directing this one, mate. And again, you might know Christopher Columbus. um, Before... Directing Home Alone, he directed Adventures in Babysitting. He went on to direct Mrs. Doubtfire, and he also directed Harry Potter 1 and 2, mate. So he's gone on to fairly big things as Chris Columbus. But yeah, Home Alone was his first kind of breakthrough and big financial success. So another bit of insight I took from the uh, Netflix show I've already, already mentioned is that when they originally kind of pitched this film, Warner Brothers, who were signed up to kind of distribute it and produce it, you know, they, they were on board with doing it but they had a very strict 10 million pound budget which unfortunately um they quite quickly went past and normally in these kind of things they expect to go a bit over budget and have a bit of leeway and i think at this point they were maybe at about 40 million pound for it and they thought warner brothers had very likely you know still give them the green light to continue but but anyway that wasn't to be and actually they decided to shut the film down mate and say that they weren't willing to do it for that amount of money but unbeknownst to a lot of people um john hughes who i've already mentioned obviously been a very successful director in his own right had done a few 
backroom deals with 20th Century Fox because for some reason he had the foresight to see this coming, who the day Warner Brothers told him to shut down, 20th Century Fox came in and said, no, just carry on, we will pick it up, we want to carry on and we'll give you whatever budget you need. So in the end, this film cost £18 million to make. And have a little guess, mate, just give me a number. How much do you think it went on to gross? 230 it ended up making $476.7 million, which Warner Brothers must be kicking themselves about, mate. Having argued over the sake of four or five million pounds, they missed out on what has become obviously a huge series and moneymaker every year, mate. So just that blows my mind that it costs them that much to do. It's all very sort of setting a house isn't it <laughs> well on that topic though mate again in this tv show i was watching it shows that while they obviously did some on um site shooting of the house it's all the frontage the whole house obviously they had to rebuild it again in a school mm. um oh. they're using a closed down chicago school um as a kind of production place and in the gym they built the whole house from scratch for the interiors because oh. they couldn't shoot because of the space issues and whatnot and yeah, I mean, obviously you've got actors' salaries, haven't you? And we'll come on to it, but obviously Joe Pesci, who plays um, plays Harry in the film, and he's one of the kind of burglars, he's a pretty big actor. And yeah, yeah you can imagine that before you know it, money uh, disappears when you're doing all the stunts they did and and, and the film. But yeah, just a little bit of a background, I thought, mate, just we all might find interesting before we dig into the plot, but. For those of you who haven't seen the film, essentially Home Alone is a story of a, let's be frank, quite bratty kid in Macaulay Culkin. Very charming, but quite um, sassy kid, isn't he? That mm-hmm. on the day before his family are due to travel to France, Paris for Christmas, um, and we'll move on, come on to this, but they must have a, a very fair big bit of money. family. A big family with obviously a lot of money, which is interesting. Um, it's the night before, there's mayhem in the house. There's extended families, uncles, aunts, cousins, numerous unexplained family members that it's quite hard to track who's who. And um, it all goes tits up, mate, as often family gatherings do when um, Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin, our main character's um, Margarita Cheese Pizza gets eaten by his big brother Buzz, who I think it's a bit of a bully in the film, mate. Um, finishes off his pizza. He loses his mind. A, a bit of a scrap ensues. Things get tipped over and tickets get, plane tickets get thrown into the bin. Kevin gets sent up to beds without any tea. And oh. the, the classic and iconic argument with his mother on the stairs. Um, Probably one of my most... <laughs> most favourite lines in any film that I've ever watched. I'm going to attempt to recite it and hopefully it'll be in my memory, mate. But his mum says, get up those stairs. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. And he turns around and says, that's fine because I don't want to see any of you again for the rest of my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Just absolutely horrifying thing for a kid to say. So funny. She's just staring at him, isn't she? Yeah. You don't mean that. Yes, I do, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets summarily sent up to, to bed without his tea. And the next, as I suppose it's worth saying, before um, before the morning comes, you see them all go to bed. A power cut takes place. There's a big storm blowing, isn't there, outside? Power mm. cut takes place, wiping out the phone lines, resetting all of the clocks. 
this is obviously before the days of mobile phones and, <laughs> and separate alarms and things and everybody happens to sleep in meaning that they wake up when there's a knock on the door for the taxi to the airport everyone's rushing around a few chaos yeah it's chaotic mate and a few unexpected things occur meaning that when they do the count family kids are out one of the neighborhood kids happens to be rooting around in the luggage don't they and <laughs> they're mistaken for kevin they the same, the wearing the same hat and he has sold yeah. kevin they make their way to the airport mad dash they get on the plane and as the flight's taking off, we cut back to Kevin waking up in the house alone, coming downstairs. And one of the things I think that I really like about this film, mate, is that for him, a nine, ten-year-old kid coming downstairs, he genuinely thinks they've disappeared, doesn't he? he doesn't yeah. his, his logic doesn't go to the fact they've left me behind. He's like, shit, my wish came true, that I never wanted to see him again. They've gone. This is great. I can do whatever I want. Um, so let's pause with the plot at that point, mate. What do you think of the intro to the film and everything up to the point where he has been left home alone? What what stands out to you? I think because in that film they've got a lot they've got a lot to cover after that. So I think they cover the premise of it in a very short space of time very very well. And, and there's a few comic comic characters in there like Uncle Frank, <laughs> yeah, just like a grumpy uncle character um look what you did you little jerk <laughs> which silences the entire kitchen when he realizes the mess that he's made cut he spills a coke everywhere doesn't he and it yeah it tips in. a pepsi cola everywhere isn't it? absolute chaos yeah it sets a scene doesn't it in the little suburban america it does um, yeah i mean we've already kind of briefly touched it but very affluent family mate aren't they obviously mm. if you're flying first class to paris for christmas mm. with 20-odd people, and you live in a house like that, they uh, must have a bit of money behind them, mustn't they? Absolutely. I had a little search, and apparently that house is um, estimated to be worth $1.6 million. Jesus. Should that be um, be made available now? Um, yeah, and there's that scene where they're all um, Buzz, and Buzz and Kevin and the other kid are all saying how boring the... Uh, how boring the street street is, and nothing, nothing ever happens here. And there's the old man, isn't there, there as is, well? There is, yeah, old man during Marley, the, yeah. During the intro bit, um, who apparently killed his family, which, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like a little urban myth among, amongst the kids, isn't it? Just a classic, that, isn't it? If there's anyone slightly strange or alone when you're mm. a kid, you always mind goes to the worst things, isn't it? I think that there's something sinister about them. But, but it definitely comes back towards the end of the film, that, doesn't it, yeah? <laughs> and there's a very suspicious bit as well where the um, Joe Pesci, the cop, he's, mm. well, the later is revealed to be um one of the burglars but he's, he's got like a cop outfit on he's knocking on the door talking to the dad and he's just sort of using the situation to have a little scan of the house isn't he yeah pretty clever clever burglar that mate i'd say that you know good little mm. tactic yeah. which which makes me led to which leads me to believe you're gonna tell me to shut up and go home now but maybe that the dad was on the whole thing well, there have been these theories oh, doing the rounds, haven't there? The, I don't know if you've read any of these, mate, but people theorising that, again, going back to how much money this family apparently have, well, how have they got so much money? Is he some dodgy uh, mm. dodgy bloke? Which, you know, there's there's a few arguments to be made for it, and you never know, mate. Maybe, maybe it's an insurance scam, who knows? Well, that's it, exactly. Yeah, so brilliant. I think they set the premise very, very well in such a short space of time because they've got a lot to doing the rest of the film haven't they sir yeah i think one of the things i wanted to touch on before i kind of continue with where the plot takes us but it's hilarious to watch but just how mean the family are to each other yeah. 
just some of the things he said. You've already talked about Uncle Frank, who clearly is coming for the holidays and isn't that close to the family. He's absolutely tearing Kevin apart, which I have nieces and nephews and he just wouldn't speak to them that way. But you know, he's just like, look what you've done, you little jerk. Um, one of my favourite lines in the film as well, when Kevin is revealed that he has to pack his own bag and he's panicking, he's running to his brothers and sisters and his sister comes out with the immortal line saying, you're what the French call les incompetents. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, so you're such a, such a disease. <laughs> yeah. They're absolutely horrible to each other, which which resonates because you know what siblings are, are like to one another. But when it's the adults in the family as well, like Uncle Frank, you just... Uh, heightens it that bit more makes it even more funny doesn't it poor old kevin uh, so and he has to sleep to... underneath his brother's bunk doesn't he, he wet to bed all the time yeah so it's his cousin fuller who is actually played by macaulay culkin's younger brother in the film if uh, ah, didn't know that but yeah fuller um who wets the bed when he has too much pepsi he's meant to be sharing with kevin which he's not happy about and kind of starts most of the argument i think doesn't it that he has to share a bed but uh, and he does that iconic little cut to Fuller sipping Pepsi and raising his eyebrows behind his glasses. <laughs> no, that's exactly what he's doing. Fuller, child. <laughs> and a brother statement from the fella. He went to bed. <laughs> Unlucky. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he's not a very happy little lad. He wishes his family disappears. They forget him. They're on the flight. He comes downstairs and opens the door and realizes he's not there. Cue absolute joy on his part as he runs around the house doing whatever he wants. I think he starts watching films that he shouldn't be watching, eating bowls of ice cream with candy and syrup all stacked on top of him, raids his brother's room, doesn't he? And and uh, one of the bits I wanted to touch on uh, when he goes into his brother's room and he's going through his brother's trunk of items. I don't know if you know this little fact, sorry, mate, but he comes across a picture of Buzzy's girlfriend. Buzzy's girlfriend, woof! throws everything behind him and smashes but I didn't know if you knew this way but whenever you see a film and you've got the ugly overweight or whatever it is character you always feel sorry for whichever actor or actress is chosen to play that part <laughs> apparently because of that which I think is quite sweet they didn't choose a girl to take a photo of that they got the um one of the director or writer's sons to dress up as a woman um, and used him as the photo so um but yeah funny one of my favorite little moments that buzzy's girlfriend woof <laughs> <laughs> picking up all the porno magazines and stuff yeah yeah and the tarantula as well Oh, yeah. So as he's climbing up onto the uh, shelves in his brother's room to get uh, his money um, to go get some groceries, the shelves collapse and Buzzy's pet tarantula escapes from its um, escapes from its box. And that kind of comes back into the film a little later on, mate, doesn't it? Saves the day. It does. It does. Um, at, at the same time as Kevin's obviously running around the house, really excited he's on his own, they're back on the flight to Paris and... Again, probably one of the most iconic moments of the film coming up where his mum just feels like they've forgotten something. Doesn't feel like something's right. She's talking to her husband, Kevin's dad, and trying to figure out what they've forgotten. He's suggesting things he's maybe forgotten to do. And then she just looks at the camera, screams Kevin, doesn't she? Hands on her face in shock as she realises they've left him behind. (laughs) Kevin! That's a more accurate representation of how she sounds. Um, played by the wonderful Catherine O'Hara, Kevin's mum, who you might know from Beetlejuice. And in recent years, I believe it's had a bit of a renaissance on uh, a few TV shows, um, which I haven't seen, but she's apparently very good in them, mate. So fair play to her. Um, 
obviously at the same time, it's like I say, Kevin's back home. He's starting to do more things for himself. He conquers his fear of the of the basement and the scary kind of boiler weird thing they have that looks like a monster's mouth, doesn't it? Um, mm. and, and starts to become a bit more self-sufficient at home. Uh, interesting little fact as well, mate, the, the film that he puts on, which obviously comes across as some gangster film, um, Angels with um, Filthy Souls, I think it's called, is not a real film, mate. It's something they made up just for Home Alone. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, wow. Well, it's certainly very convincing. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a little meta film within a film, mate, that, that they filmed for it. And some of the dialogue from that, I think, is probably the most iconic bit of um, Home Alone, which is Merry Christmas, you filthy animal, and a Happy New Year, which iconic is uh, very iconic. Tapping have been made with that very line on it since then, haven't they? They have indeed, mate. They have indeed. So Kevin's starting to get a bit more self-sufficient. His parents have realised he's missing. And the big elephant in the room thing we haven't really mentioned at the same time as all of this, two career criminals um, played by Joe Pesci, who we've already mentioned as Harry, and Dan Stern, who you may know as the voiceover of the wonderful TV show The Wonder Years, um, are planning to rob the neighbourhoods where a lot of families have gone on christmas break and most importantly they're planning on robbing the McAllister's house who they believe to be away for christmas unbeknownst to them though kevin is still at home ain't he he is so um yeah the wet bandits as they're known <laughs> yeah the wet point, bandits um they go into people's homes rob bolt presents and then mouth for no apparent reason whatsoever just plugs the plugs the kitchen sink and just leaves the taps on yeah, yeah. No reason, but just to create a little um, signature for him into their little signature um, thing. And then, so Harry's, he stood, they're outside in the van, aren't they? And, they, and he's timed it to the second when all the, Chris, when all the houses Christmas lights come on. Yeah, yeah. So he's got, it, he's got it all planned out, knows what he's doing. He does indeed. He does, or he thinks he does anyway, but unbeknownst to him, Kevin McAllister is still at home. Um, I think just to touch on um, Harry and Marv, it kind of harkens back to what we were saying about Elf, but brilliant comedy duo when you've got the straight man played by Joe Pesci, who, you know, people will know. He's probably the most famous actor in this film at the time, known Mm. for a lot of Martin Scorsese films, including um, Raging Bull, He's also in um, Goodfellas and in the recent Irishman. Um, he's typically known for gangster roles and being quite a, a hard-nosed, swearing, violent man, obviously, that he's playing in films. So perfect for this role as the kind of career criminal against Dan Stern, who's, fair to say, a little bit more slapstick as Marv, isn't he? And uh, as you say, <laughs> the Wet Bandits is his little idea of... Um, turning the taps on in people's houses and flooding them after they've been robbed. That's it, isn't it? And then the bit earlier where he's in the house as dressed as a cop, he's got a gold tooth. Mm. Harry's got a gold tooth. Um, and Kevin in, at the house at the time sees this and then he speaks to the kid. He speaks to Harry later on, doesn't he? And then he recognises the tooth. Yeah, absolutely, mate. So this is when things start to kind of speed up the story but isn't it where you're right they run into each other in the street and um they, i think they nearly run him over don't they in the van yeah and yeah, um yeah because i think the um yeah he nearly runs him over then they get suspicious don't they and they're like didn't like the way that kid looked looked at me and then they start yeah. following him yeah he sees the gold tooth shine out of um 
Harry's mouth recognizes him, starts to run away, and they find that reaction quite strange. And this is when they start watching the house and realize, I think, that he's been left home alone and the rest of the family aren't there. But he does do some excellent attempts to throw him off the scent here, mate, doesn't he? There's the brilliant bit where the night they come to rob the house for the first time, it might be just before they see the kid i can't quite remember how it lines up but he's there with all of the statues um kind of on radio um on old record players spinning around and music plays it looks like you can see the silhouettes of lots of people in the house you've got the michael jordan cut out going around the little toy train case it looks like someone's walking past the windows and stuff so bizarre this house has just got all these random statues and yeah and uh, mannequins and stuff and (laughs) Yeah, he's, fine. he's got everything he needs in that house. Just very <laughs> resourceful young man, isn't he? Fair to say. Absolutely, yeah. So he's got like um, cardboard cutout attached to a little train track, hasn't he? And it looks like he's, like the person's going past the window and they're all having a good little Christmas party in there, thoroughly bef- befuddling yeah, from absolutely. criminals who were confident that he wasn't that, that, that he was alone. Yeah. So he's trying to throw him off the scent. If we pause that bit of the story there, we flip back over, obviously, to the parents who've now landed in France. They're trying frantically to get in touch with anybody back home. One of the little plot points that we maybe missed at the start is because of the storm, which threw off the alarm clocks, all of the phone lines are are down, meaning that they can't get in touch with people and people are away for holidays. They ring the police who do um, travel to see Kevin, but I think he thinks it's the burglars or the na- the murderous next-door neighbour banging on the door, so he hides and won't answer the door. Um, so kind of a lot of plates are spinning at this point as the family try and get back home to inept police force. Yeah. Uh, there is a child alone at my house. I'm 100% com- confident. Policeman knocks like twice. There's no one there. Case closed. That's it. <laughs> Break the door down. Go and get him. What the hell? That hilarious kind of bureaucratic nonsense, isn't it, when they ring through to the police force and they're just asking the set questions of, has your son been involved in a violent altercation? Well, I hope not. He's been left home on. Has he been uh, exposed to abusive substances? Did it? And then putting them back and forth to different departments when all they need is someone to go and look after him and take care of what's going on. <laughs> I'm trying to get hold of my eight-year-old son. <laughs> <laughs> Right, that's that's interesting. Pick up, pick up, pick up. <laughs> and, and one of the bits I missed as well that always makes me laugh is when they're on the um, flight before they realise Kevin's missing, and it shows Frank, Uncle Frank, and his wife, um, and he's looking at the little salt and pepper shake that they've been given out, and he's like, "That's real crystal. Put them in your bag like cheapskate." Like <laughs> the, uh, the salt and pe- pepper shakers. So yeah, the family are trying to figure out a way to get home. The mum decides she's going to stay at the airport while the rest of the family go to their um, dad's brother-in-law, which is where they were they were going to stay for Christmas. Mum's going to stay at the airport and, and hold on to see if she can get a, a kind of last-minute um, seat because everything's fully booked. And Kevin starts to devise. Um, a few plans to protect his house um having obviously run into the burglars and realized that their intention is to burgle the place and i think they've at this point now realized that he's indeed home alone um we see him go to a church the the kind of afternoon before the burglars are planning to um rob the house and this is really where kind of the more touching moments of the film start to feed in a little bit where he's finally realizing that 
while a lot of people were at fault, he probably was at fault as well for his family, um, in his mind, disappearing anyway in the fallout that led to it all. And he's in church kind of asking for forgiveness, isn't he? And he runs into the old man, old Marley in the neighbourhood who they thought was this horrible axe murderer that was in hiding. And actually he's just a very sweet old man that tells a little story about how he's fallen out with his... Um, son in his son and hasn't seen his granddaughter and kevin gives some very sage words of advice on trying to patch things up and he also in turn gives him a bit of inspiration to be brave and and protect what's his own and with that kevin runs off home mate to begin setting up all of his nefarious and extremely dangerous booby traps absolutely yes yeah. so the bit just before he goes in church he hides in the little nativity scene doesn't he he does yeah Hiding from the um, from the bad guys. Just a bit of trivia for me. I don't know if you've heard this, but it's a strange little odd conspiracy thing with Home Alone. Just a bit where she's at the airport trying to get the flight. Um, there's a gentleman stood um, behind her to the right who people believe is Elvis Presley. Oh, really? I've never heard that one, mate. So it's a guy... And people have been like matching facial features and stuff. He's just, he's, he doesn't do anything. He's literally just stood behind her waiting to check in or whatever. Um, yeah, and they reckon it's Elvis Pres- Presley. All right. When I was he, meant, when, when's he meant to have died? I would have thought he'd been dead by the 90s, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a thing, isn't it? Elvis well, isn't yeah. dead. Um, yeah, so it's just, bef- I, I, I've got the picture up here, and it's just before the bit where she, um, spoiling a bit of your <laughs> telling of the plot but just before she speaks to um the band yeah no that's it. pretty good timing to be fair mate um, yeah, I'm so just it, a picture myself so yeah she's just losing it with a checkout guy and you can see him i don't know i don't know it is him but i mean probably... i'm looking at the same picture for me he doesn't look anything like elvis mate yeah. well he died in 77 so <laughs> and yeah, this was no. what home alone was 90 i mean elvis is looking rather young in this picture and he wouldn't be looking that young if it was him so gonna have to call bullshit on that one mate i think it's all very silly it's just classic film nonsense isn't it but it is so as you as you rightly say mate kevin's at home he's putting all these booby traps together to protect the house which we'll come back to at the same time as that his mum has finally made it back to the usa um but she is in a little town quite some distance outside of chicago can't get a flight back into chicago airport to be able to get back home to kevin and that means that at this point, the saviour of the late and wonderful John Candy steps in. So John Candy, obviously famous for an awful lot of um, different films. He was part of the kind of um, Second City um, comedians and a lot of Saturday Night Live stuff, all that kind of thing. Great comedic actor. Um, <clears throat> and little little known facts, perhaps, mate, for you as well, that I got from that TV show I was watching the other day that I've referenced a few times. But he was a good friend of John Hughes, the writer of this film and um, he actually agreed to do this film as a favour and they did one day's worth of shooting which all of his scenes were shot in one day and he received a cheque of less than £500 for his day's work mate because he was just doing it as a favour and apparently the pizza boy that we see a couple of times repay got yeah. a bigger uh, paycheck than John Candy did mate which um, is astounding considering the kind of stardom of John Candy at this point but right. he, oh. he gives a wonderful turn doesn't he as... Um, 
I want. I might get his name wrong. I'm, I'm doing something top of my head, so you can fact check me, mate. But is it Chuck Polinsky? I want to say. It's Gus Polinsky. Oh, Gus. Can you remember the Can you remember the name of his band? The Kenoshi Kickers. That's it. Yeah, the Kenoshi well Kickers. A Thank point you very much. To Tom. And he's uh, anyways. Very long story short, he um, he overhears Kevin's mum's problem. There, him and his band, the Kenoshi Kickers, the Poker Kings of the West, are having the same issue that they can't get to where the next gig is. So they've hired a van and they offer to drive her um, back home because it's Christmas time and and uh, he's just a nice, kind guy. So she's now got her own way home. We've got some great scenes with uh, John Candy, kind of ad libbing and um, singing a few songs of his band in the car on the way home mirrored at the same time obviously kevin is in in preparation mode mate putting together all of his traps and he sits down to and i always find this bit frustrating i find this frustrating any whenever you watch tv shows or films people always sit down to have a a first bite of the meal or they've taken one bite and then something happens and they have to leave it all it shows the greedy uh nature i've got Microwaveable mac and cheese, isn't it? Yeah, but it looks stunning, doesn't it? He's got his glass of milk, his mac and cheese, his candles lit. And anyway, the clock strikes seven, I want to say, I think, or maybe later when they're planning to come and rob him. So he Mm. didn't get a chance to eat his mac and cheese. And the plan is afoot at this point, mate, isn't it? This is where things really start to ramp up and kick off. This is my house and I have to protect it. So, yeah, he's going to protect his house using all sorts of resources that he's found around the house um he's, he found a gun didn't he, he found a little toy rifle yeah, in his yeah. room um and everything else is just like just little traps isn't it it's not it's they're not even it's like um have you ever seen the saw films it is like that isn't it it's it's like like a child version, <laughs> little child version of that just setting his house up i mean he could have just called the police I mean, yeah. wouldn't, it wouldn't have been as good a film though would it wouldn't have been a film at all would it really um but yeah he's 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 ready for him so outside the house and inside the house he's got yeah he's he's he's, he's just ready yeah i mean i I think it's worth kind of calling out at this point that um one of the things i really love about this film is the extreme violence that now occurs but it's that kind of cartoon violence isn't it oh, it's you know, very pianos Jerry, falling yeah. on people's heads and anvils falling out of the sky and stuff and obviously you know getting squished and then being fine so i really love how they translate that kind of childhood cartoon violence into a film because some of it is pretty excruciating watching the, isn't it? the bit that always makes me flinch is where he stands on the nail yeah and it, it goes yeah. it goes like pretty far into his foot doesn't he and then he screams and then he falls and then and he's got the little firecrackers yeah because um i was at that early in the film with the pizza guy isn't it he's playing the film where the guy shoots the other guy in this black and white film and he times it with firecrackers so he gets a free pizza because he doesn't pay for it yeah, I think um, a, this is where the old Angels of Filthy Souls comes into the film a few times. He does that to the pizza every man, and he also does it to Marv when he's like sneaking up to the house and he plays it and he thinks there's some who's snakes and he thinks there's a kind of gangland killing just taking place in his house. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so the the burglars at this point are obviously trying to gain entry to the house, as you've already touched on. Marv goes through the basement after falling down some very icy stairs. Um, he 
takes off his shoes because they've gotten stuck on some tar on the stairs up from the basement to the house, stands on a nail, lets out some brilliant sound effects in his film, Dan Sturdy, screams of pain, doesn't he, as he's getting there. Is it the first one or the second one where he gets covered in, like, syrup or something, and then the little fan with the feathers just... Yeah, no, that's this one, yeah. So, so at the same time, Joe Pesci, um, the, as we've already said, the kind of straight man of the film. And an interesting matter I read today that apparently he purposely ignored and was quite nasty to Macaulay Culkin on set to try and set up that kind of method actor thing of the animosity mm. between him and make him scared of him in the film. But yeah, he's yeah. Um, attempted to go through the front door. He ends up getting his hand branded by the hot, <laughs> M. McAllister yeah. That's another flinch. Oh, God. That must have been. And then he puts Shit, it in the snow, the doesn't snow, he? He lifts it out and it's all just brilliant. like mangled hand. Yeah. He uh, then breaks in through the back door. And at this point, as you've said, he walks through kind of like a piece of cling film with um, <laughs> gel all over it and then feathers blow at him. And he's just like, yeah, it's like some of the stuff in it, like, even to stop him, it's just like annoying stuff. Yeah. It's like, slightly covering you with feathers. Is it going to stop it? But it is going to annoy you. So I'm just going to do it. And it's because it's hilarious. So, yeah. Unlucky. And as they've now both kind of entered the house, um, Kev kind of leads them on a bit of a merry dance, doesn't he? Up through the house, they're falling over his micro machine toys. He's throwing the paint cans down the stairs on strings, whacking them in the face. Um, and again, some of these things, like say, ultra violence that have killed them many times over in real life but they've got that kind of cartoon slapstick comedy and, and another quick point to make on joe pesci who as i said he's more known for his gangster films he really struggled i think in this film to do his dialogue without swearing because he was used to being able to be like yeah. you know fuck you fuck that in every other word so that's where he kind of made up that fake kind of swearing does he know that kind of garbled <laughs> swear language that he has throughout as he gets more and more mad um, mm. And we also see the return of the tarant- tarantula. We do, yes. Yeah, so I believe it's Marv, isn't it? And he very nearly catches Kevin. It nearly, yeah, get, he nearly yeah. get, gets him, but he doesn't. And he ends up falling down. And he's got hold of Kevin's leg and he's going to get him. Our Kevin is going to be taken by these bad guys. But however, Mr. Tarantula comes to the res- rescue and he just because he's escaped from his cage, it just happens to be in arm's reach of Kevin, and Kevin just pick, picks him up and just plops him on Marv's face. <laughs> and then there's that unbelievable build-up when Marv realises then it's... Ah! He's absolutely terrified at this tarantula. <laughs> and Harry, um, good old Joe, Joe Pesci, um, he's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. And he just... He just smacks him, doesn't he, with the um, crowbar. With a crowbar or something. Yeah, and he's like, what the fuck is that? He's trying his best not to swear. And by this time, Kevin's le- le- legged it to safety again. Absolutely yeah. fun, fantastic moment. Good old tranquilla. Yeah, absolutely, mate. So Kevin has now run up into the attic and they're not far behind despite the tranquilla. At this point, you're kind of thinking, where's he going? Do you know what I mean? How's he going to get away here? And brilliant moment where he breaks out the um god what's the word for it? he's got a tightrope hasn't he and he uses a kind of um god what's the word i'm looking for zip line that's it zip line zip wire and he manages to zip wire from the top of the house attic all the way to his tree house and the iconic music swelling in the background and 
Another little fact for you, mate, and I'm throwing a lot of these at you. One thing I didn't know is that it was scored by John Williams, this film, of Star Wars and Indiana Jones fame, which makes a lot of sense because it's bloody iconic music, isn't it? So it's a film that he and Chris Columbus both worked on for Harry Harry, Harry Potter then. There we go, mate, yeah. So they managed to get a very uh, prestigious musical director, and you can tell when you think about it now because it's so iconic, the swearing music as he goes down on the zip line. Um, Mm. He's closely followed, obviously, by Marv and Harry, who've now made it up to the attic, and they both start climbing across the rope, trying to get to the treehouse. And again, a very... um, anxious moment at this point as kevin appears with a set of um sheep shears doesn't they to uh, cut mm-hmm. the rope yeah. as the midway across go back go back yeah and then again ends badly for the criminals but they stop for a minute and think don't they and think hang on let's see what he wants us to do and let's not do that mm. So they go into the house, don't they? They do. And then Kevin is captured. He is. So we're getting towards the end of the film here. Kevin thinks that he's outsmarted him once again. I think at this point they may be in the neighbour's house because it's a flooded house, isn't it? He goes up through the basement and they're waiting for him there in the kitchen and hang him um, by his scruff of his neck from the um, door hook, don't they? And threaten to... <laughs> bite off his fingers and blow torch his head. They sort of kind of yeah. go through this list of things that's happened to them and it just sounds really violent, doesn't it, when an adult's kind of playing back to him what they've just had done to him. We're going to smash his face with an iron. You're like, oh, Christ. Yeah, it's a list <laughs> of terrible things that they're about to inflict on this rather clever child. Right. Um, yeah, so. But don't, don't worry, Kevin. All is not lost. All is not lost. Comes to the rescue old man Marley from the neighbourhood who originally they thought was this axe murderer who Kevin bonded with in the um, church. He comes to save the day with his snow shovel, doesn't he? And summarily dispatches the two villains with a swift headshot from his shovel and the uh, police arrive and take him away. And there's the iconic bit when they're uh, getting taken away and Marv um, is saying to the police and the reporters, make sure you get our names with the wet bandits. And, you know, he <laughs> kind of gives away the fact that he's been turning on the water. And they said, that's really good to know because now we can pin all of these robbery <laughs> <on here." laughs> Damn it, Marv! <laughs> yeah, so the police get led, uh, uh, sorry, the burglars get led away by the police. Um, Kevin smugly waving goodbye to Marv as he, or Harry, sorry, as he's scowling from the um, police car. Um, and I think at this point, it's obviously goes to maybe night time. You baby back to Kevin's mum traveling back home and she turns up Christmas morning, doesn't she, mate? As the snow's falling on the McAllister household and um, yeah. tentatively approaches the house, which I've got to say here, inexplicably is now absolutely spotless. There is not a hint of the debauchery and destruction that's just taken place. The house is immaculate at this point. I was wondering who cleaned the house. He's cleaned it as quickly as he messed it up, hasn't he? He has. He's done an unbelievably good cleaning (laughs) job on the house. Paint paint cans away, micro-machines away, any stuff that they dragged up from the basement, like the oil and stuff, perfectly cleaned away from the laminate flooring, which couldn't have been a job. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Everything just as if as if nothing's happened. 
Yeah, so his mum comes back into the house. She's shouting, panicked for him, looking for him. They keep missing one another. And then, again, the final iconic, beautiful moment where she turns around and sees him there. There's a brief moment where she's not sure how he's feeling about her, whether he's going to come and he runs up, gives her a hug, and you get the swirling music, don't you, as they are reunited. He's so happy to see her. just at that moment the rest of the family burst through the door because the flight that the mum didn't want to wait for they've caught and they've pretty much turned up bang on the same time mugging off the poor (laughs) mum's perilous journey to get home she's beaten them by minutes Um, we got an earlier an earlier flight all right (laughs) good to know mate thanks for telling me that because i've just wasted 24 hours in a van with some uh (laughs) poker singers and so the family give him a bit of ribbing, tell him well done for everything that's gone on. Even his older brother, Buzz, who, you know, he's usually at logheads with, gives him a bit of respect for not burning down the joint and for keeping things okay. And um, Kevin goes over to the window and again you see the snow falling. And this is one of my favourite moments. And I'm not ashamed to say this. It always chokes me up with a little tear this bit, mate. When you see old man Marley has rung his son who he was estranged from. You see him and his wife and his granddaughter turn up and hug in the snow. Gives Kevin a little wave as he goes back inside. And um, Kevin's dad at the same time finds the gold tooth, doesn't he, of Harry? And he's like, hun, you know, have you lost an earring or something? And there's no notion to them of everything that's gone on in the house. Only Kevin knows about what's happened. The gold tooth that was knocked out when the pain buckets hit hit him in the face. That's it, mate. And there ends Home Alone, mate. That is our probably quite long-winded synopsis. So hopefully you enjoyed listening to us give a play-by-play. But yeah, just I think in summary for me, because we have talked a lot about this film, but... Just such a wonderful film, funny, bit of action, some really touching, heartwarming moments, a great score and and, and music to it as well, mate. And of course it ends with the iconic line, doesn't it, as well? Kevin, what did you do to my room? Oh, yeah, yeah. Buzz sees the absolute state of his room and Kevin's (laughs) back to being in in trouble. Perpetually in trouble, old Kevin. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just such a fun film, isn't it? It's... Kevin is such a great little character. You, you, you just can't help but but love him because it's what we're all like with kids. We're all mis, mis, mischievous, and yeah. we all would have been like the same thing, having the whole house to yourself, just eating everything you wanted to. But then, at the end of the day, he misses his family. Yeah, and it's all 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 about a bit of redemption for Kevin for being such a little ass. Ah, uh, that's it, mate. Everything everything comes good in the end, doesn't it? Um, I think one of the things for me as well, mate, because you you might have heard this, you might not, but for years now, there's been talk of them doing a remake of Home Alone and, you know, fair play to me if they want to have a go doing it, but there's just something about this film, the era it's set in, that works so well, isn't there, in terms of it's kind of pre- digital era so there's no mobile phones there's no texting there's no all this and stuff. you just wonder how they would make something like that work in the modern era if they were to do a modern day remake of that which like i say i wouldn't i'd leave it as it is it's a great absolutely yeah, yeah. but if they did it does make you wonder how would they make it work in the modern world with all the technology we've got to keep in touch with people because it's just a bit of a moment in time this oh, film, isn't it, it? It wouldn't it, work. It's straight up it straight up wouldn't have happened would it because the smartphone alarms would have gone off Exactly, yeah. The film would have died within the first 
<laughs> within the first half an hour, wouldn't it? And all the kids wouldn't be running around the house. They'd all just be sat on the phones. And yeah. it's probably just sit in Buzz's room on the PlayStation 5 the entire yeah. time he was alone and all that. So, yeah, it'd, it'd be interesting. There was an advert that he did, wasn't it, um, that Macaulay Culkin did. Yeah. Where he's like, he was back in the house and... I can't remember exactly what happened, but yeah, it was like, um, I can't remember who it was an advert for. It was an advert for, I'm going to have a look. Um, I, about yeah, I remember seeing him, I can't remember much about it. But it would be interesting to see him do a, a remake, if only to be able to figure out, well, how would they make it work in that modern day? And yeah, you know, I would be interested to, to see it, but I think it's entirely unnecessary. Google Assistant it was for. Ah, right, okay. Uh, I imagine he's just telling the, okay, Google, put the music on and stuff like that, I guess. Um, yeah, it would it would, it would, would be, to be honest. Um, maybe he'd have a little, this little camera attached to the outside of his house, then he'd look at it on his phone and see the robbers or something. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Any final things to add to what we've said about Home Alone, mate? Or are you ready for us to move on to our Christmas traditions? Yeah, it's just that bit where he's in the shop when he's trying to look after himself in it. And yeah. is this is this is this toothbrush recognised by the American Dental Association? <laughs> <laughs> Such a thing a kid would ask, isn't it? <laughs> it's just like classic thing that kids know that adults don't know. I wouldn't even think think about. And he sees the old man done. He ends up running out of the shop as a I'm uh, a criminal. Yeah, stolen the toothbrush. Lock him up. Throw away the key. Real criminal in this film, but yeah, that's Home Alone. Maybe next year we'll do Home Alone 2. If you're lucky, if you all behave, right. So, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed that. Maybe we should do this for more films. Talk about maybe we will, films. mate. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that in future episodes. Absolutely. So, that, that was Kevin. That was Kevin McAllister's Christmas experience. Good. So, from the big screen to the little screen, TV Christmas specials, Tom. Yeah, this is uh, this is it for me. I, I love a Christmas special, um, and, and there's some timeless ones I think we're going to briefly touch on here, mate. Um, mm. Let me give you just a couple of names off my list to begin with, just for us to bounce around each of the moves. I've, I've not scored these kind of one to five. I, do, I haven't even got five. I've got more than five on it because there's so many different um, ones I like to watch over the Christmas period. But let's start off, mate. What about the Royal Family Christmas specials? What do they mean to oh, you? Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I mean, the one where they go to Denise and Dave's for Christmas dinner. <laughs> oh my goodness absolutely hilarious dave is such a he's a drip i imagine you've all watched it but if you haven't dave and denise are like the most simple couple ever dave is just just the most dopey gormless man isn't he yeah and then there's denise who's just like a i don't know if it's politically correct to say anymore but it's the most blonde most dopey blonde lazy <laughs> lazy like this, it's not necessarily on this episode, but she, but basically she has a baby and her friend Cheryl is there, and Cheryl's like the god godmother, um, and the baby's crying and crying. You hear it from the, um, you hear it through the walkie-talkie thing. It's crying and crying and crying, 
And Cheryl goes, shall I go and see to it? Yeah, yeah. Cheryl, you're not supposed to just leave it crying, you know. <laughs> she like abandons all responsibility and there's that bit where she just leaves him behind as well. But yeah, Christmas special, absolutely brilliant. Um, they're trying to cook the turkey and it's just defrosting in, in the herring cupboard. God, he's, he's sat having a bath Christmas morning with his frozen bloody turkey in the bath water <laughs> with him. He's like, fucking hell, are you like... What are they thinking? But no, trying great. To, <laughs> trying to saw the leg off with a lawn <laughs> with a hedge mower or something. It's... Well, first, firstly, as well, before they even get to their house for Christmas dinner, they're going around asking everyone who's coming what do you want, and everybody wants a leg. And Jim's there. What are we having? A bloody octopus? <laughs> a leg off it. The old patriarch Jim Royal. Absolutely. Then there's um, Dave's mum and dad as well. Dave's dad is just, oh my God. Dave Senior. Seriously over enthusiastic. Fair point well made there, Jim. And they, re, they, they get a reclining sofa. Best thing since sliced bread. And they're all just having a recline on the sofa. Have a recline, Jim. Have, have a recline. No, you're all right. His facial expressions throughout that episode make it, though, don't they? Just his pure disdain for what's happening. Just uh, misery. And he's just got his classic stained, mucky yellow top on with a little tie clipped onto it. Yeah. Uh, Same with the bauble. The Royal Family. For those who haven't seen the Royal Family, I think it's worth calling out that it is very much a 90s era British comedy that it's very much focused on the minutiae and like mundanity of everyday life, isn't it? And just pulling out yeah. those little things that you can see happening in any living room around the country mm. that you'd never talk about or assumes comedic, but when you see it played back to you, it's just so funny in them. Yeah. To so those of you who watched Gogglebox, it's very, it's probably born out of the Royal family. Just, you just start watching people watch telly basically. And it's got um, Dave from the Royal Family does a narration for it. So I was going to ask that, mate, because I've never seen Gogglebox, but I was sure that he did the narration. Wasn't it originally Denise before him, before she died, I want to say? I could be making this up, but I'm sure I read something mm. the other day. That, and I can't remember the lady's name. It's Carolina Hearn, I believe it is. Yeah, it? It was, which was, it was sadly died quite young just a few mm. years ago. But I'm sure she started off being the voiceover of Gogglebox, and then he took over for her when she got ill and eventually passed. But I might have made that up. But yeah, a little bit of a connection there, definitely. Mm. And there's the Christmas special as well, where um, Nana dies as well. Oh, my oh God. Oh. Heart-rendering, heart that, mate, isn't it? Oh, the music that they play when... Oh, mm. Can't watch that without shedding a tear. But, yeah. yeah, it's all done. And then they have the funeral at, a funeral at the end, and it's all very, it's all very joyous, isn't it? Because they're all yeah, wanting to have fun, so... And the classic yeah. original Christmas episode, because I think there is three, I think, maybe more, but the original one, I think, which was back in the late 90s, is when Denise is just about to give birth to baby Dave yeah. and the water's break, and she has a very emotional scene with Jim yeah. up in the bathroom, and the water's break, oh, and no. then, are you sure it wasn't just a big piss, Denise? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit where they're all just sat on the stairs, and they're all like, oh, the taxi's here. Come on, then. Come on, then. And Dave just goes to the taxi. And Denise is like, don't forget me. I just <laughs> forgot the woman in labour on the stairs. <laughs> oh, sick, David. Bye-bye, baby, David. <laughs> yeah, the royal family, they've got to be watched every year, mate. 
Um, a couple of others, just because we maybe won't go into everyone in the same level of detail, but the porridge Christmas specials, Ronnie Barker at his finest, playing uh, Norman Stanley Fletcher, who's uh, in prison for Christmas for armed robbery, and um, a couple of the Christmas episodes are timeless classics for me to watch. Mate. I don't know if porridge is one that you've ever seen or watch yourself, but yeah, family favourite, that one. Yeah, not the Christmas specials. I've seen an episode or two. Yeah, very, very good. Um, the Office Christmas special. Yeah, yeah. Where Tim and Dawn finally unite. Beautiful moment, that, mate. Beautiful moment, isn't it? You punch in the air with joy when that finally happens. Mm, absolutely. And David, Dave Brent finally tells old Chris Finch, doesn't he, where to stick it. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Classic Office Christmas party. It's a weird thing, though, like, office Christmas parties taking place in the office. Yeah, you see it a lot, don't you, in TV and film, but, I mean, I can't imagine that happens that often, does it? You rent a place. Yeah. I mean, we've always, with our workplace, always done that, haven't we, in other years when we're not in lockdowns and whatnot? Hmm, absolutely. I mean, it takes place after David's been made redundant, and it's following him, following what he's doing, and... Finally meet meets a lady and yeah, it's very very good. Nice little ender to the because that 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 was the end of the whole thing. Once it, it was, mate. Yeah, that was that was it. And serious. I only watched this a week or two back and just so cringeworthy. That you can't watch some bits of it. How he acts, David Brent, when he's going on blind dates with oh, people. It's just God. so rude and horrible, isn't he? But hilarious, mm. you know. It's not the same. Man. Yeah, same episode where. He just stood outside waiting for his blind date and this massive woman appears and he's like, oh, shit. And she's like, oh, is um, Monkey Harris here? And she's like, oh, yeah, he's upstairs. And she's like, oh, what's wrong? He said, oh, it's all right. I just, I, I thought you were on my blind date. It's like, fuck's sake, Dave. <laughs> Very tactless oh, man, fair to say. Very tactless oh, man. Right. A couple of others I've got on, on my list, mate. Uh, there's a couple of Steptoe and Son Christmas specials as well. Um Again, not sure if Steptoe is particularly a favourite of yours, mate, but father and son living in very impoverished conditions, a very put-upon son, and he's um, complaining, miserly old dad, and he's always just trying to get away and do something fun for Christmas, his son, but it never ends up working out. And, yeah, just a very dark but very, very humorous Christmas specials, um, the couple from that, mate. Mm, sounds very vin- a very vintage Christmas special there, Tom. Aye. Uh, Only Fools and Horses. Mm. Um, one of which was my most favourite episode of all time, The Only Fools and Horses, and um, the Jolly Boys outing, where they all go to Mark Margate. Yeah. Not even necessarily that festive, to be honest, but <laughs> they all go on a little summer holiday to Margate in summer as a Christmas special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very good one, that. Um yeah, so do you have any more TV? Yeah, just a couple to mention, mate. Obviously, Vicar Dibley has to be watched every year, um, the Christmas specials of that. that again, these a lot of these go back to childhood watching with my mum and dad when I was younger, and they've become kind of nostalgic classics for me. But Vicar Dibley has to be watched every year. They're doing the nativity scene as Alice is giving birth to the baby, and oh, they don't yeah, realise it's so all good. real. And there, uh, yeah. Jim Trot. <laughs> Little tour of Dibley, that's it. <laughs> nativity yeah but yeah i always have to watch a vicar dibley um father ted couple oh, of, uh, of episodes for that christmas specials christmassy ted all right 
It's not the one where they're trying to guess the name of the priest. And it's... Um, he wins that award, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, because they get lost in the laundry. It's the largest laundry section in Ireland, I understand. <laughs> um, Are you looking for a deep, dramatic voice? No, he's looking for a very boring voice like mine. <laughs> um, yeah, they're trying to guess the name of the priest, which I can't... <laughs> ironically, neither of us can remember it, mate. Jesus can remember. But yeah, that one is always on over Christmas and whenever I see it, has to watch. It's usually a Christmas Eve one that, that you see on more four at half eleven at night on Christmas Eve or something like that. Mm. Um Black Adder Christmas special, which is obviously a riff on a Christmas carol, kind of in reverse, where instead of being the uh, scheming backstabbing usual Black Adder, he plays a very kindly version of Black Adder in the eighteen hundreds who slowly but surely over the uh, visitations of the ghost, seeing his ancestors from previous seasons acting in their dastardly ways, decides to become bad. Um, so that's always a fun watch over Christmas. Yeah. I'm not seeing a lot of um, Blackout. I've seen a couple of the ones from World War One. Yeah. Because um, that had the, was it the last ever episode where they go over the top and... Yeah, very iconic moment that iconic night, yeah. transition into the field of poppies and that yeah that's it but yeah i would thoroughly recommend the christmas special to anybody um final couple of mentions to me mate the gavin and stacy christmas specials uh modern i say modern again these are modern in comparison to some of the ones we've talked about but have become classics you know last year's episode and, and the one from maybe i would want to say maybe 10 years before maybe more um but are both staple christmas viewings in our household mm. and the last one from last last year um i read somewhere that the, the following that up whether that's going to be on this year no you you are oh, right yeah, they, they, they have, i think they've announced in the last couple of days i think in venice that they have decided they're going to do a final christmas special episode um but it ain't going to be this year unfortunately so maybe a year or two out that one mate potentially yeah, waiting um, for two years to see if um he says yes or not uh yeah left us on a cliffhanger mate um a couple of other names just to whiz through. i'm not going to break on any of these but um there's quite a few scrubs christmas episodes i always enjoy scrubs the uh american comedy family guy's got a few good christmas episodes peep show's got an excellent christmas episode called seasonal beatings or seasons beatings which is um very very dark humor and funny and last one for me mate is our old friend frazier They've, I've got a nice oh, little disc yeah. downstairs with three or four Christmas Frasier episodes <laughs> that I always like to watch. Sherry Niles. <laughs> I feel like I should have a Sherry in tribute to um, Frasier, which is also apparently going to get a reboot. I keep hearing several times a year that it's getting right. rebooted. Don't need to. Don't bother. No. Unnecessary. Completely. Oh, it would be fun them seeing, little, um, seeing Frasier's boy getting in the midst of it, won't it? Yeah, oh, he'll be all he'll be all grown up, money old Freddy. I know what you mean though. For me personally, I'd just rather they left it alone. Aye, exactly. Any, he doesn't uh, even live in Seattle anymore, does he? So no, I think he's in the top twelve. They left, didn't he? But um, the, any others on your list that all mate of TV specials that we haven't touched on that you like to catch over the Christmas period? Um, no, I think we've pretty much pretty much covered ones. The one on your list um, sparked mem- memories of ones that I'd forgotten so yeah 
So, we're looking forward to all those Christmas specials being on this mm. year. So, moving on from the screen to the old music player covering mm. all forms of media today. Uh, our favourite Christmas music. Now, there's a whole raft of Christmas music that we can pick here. Um, some great, one not so great. For example, Sia. That absolute atrocity that she released a couple of years ago. I don't think I've heard this one, mate. Oh. Not a classic. Santa's coming for us. Like her voice, I've just, no. Terri- terrible. Either. She's just got a very slurry, annoying voice. But, yeah, favourite Christmas music then? It's a tough category, this, mate, isn't it? When I was sat putting this together earlier, I was really struggling. I've got a list of honourable mentions that all could, and more that I've not mentioned at all, that could probably populate a top five list. But I've managed to whittle down my top five, mate. How did you find making your list on this one? Um, Not bad. Because for me, it's like people like to tier things, don't they? And I think there is very much a tier system with Christmas music. Um. So, at number five, I would say The Power of Love, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Good choice, mate. It's, it's a song that I am a fan of, but it is nowhere near my top five list, I'm afraid mm. to say, but I do enjoy it's it. Just, it's just a very nice, just very, it's obviously it's quite a slow one, very, very dramatic one um, that Gabrielle Applin covered. I like mm. Gabrielle Applin to the fans of her that she covered for a John Lewis advert a few years ago. Um but yeah, it's just it's just very very dramatic. It's a bit more sort of spiritual than a lot of ones are these days. Um, so yeah, that's my number five, Tom. Well, good choice, mate. And, and like I say, music is uh, subjective to the individual. Like I say, I very much like that mm-hmm. song. I always just think that, and I suppose you could make this argument for some of the films I've chosen. For example, in my favourite films, but I always think that Power of Love. It's one that I could listen to any time of year, particularly at Christmas, but I've never really in my own head had it absolutely ironclad as a Christmas song. I know it is, but you, hopefully you understand what I mean. Where you know it's not your yeah. traditional what you maybe expect from one, is it? I guess. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't listen to that at any other time of the year. Is it sacrilege? It's sacrilege. That's what right. it is. Fair enough. Well, I'll move on. My number five is Silent Night by The Temptations. Very, very good version of Silent Night. Temptations. Um, God, I'm out of my wheelhouse here, by the way, talking about music. But what would I describe it as? Very soulful um, and almost a cappella sort of singing of different um, depths of voicing in Silent Night. Really, really excellent version of that song. Would recommend it to, to anybody. Really. Very nice little tune. Very, very good. Uh, number four. Now this this was num- my number one when I was a kid, but other songs have bumped it down the list. Uh, I wish it could be Christmas every day by Wizard. Uh, what a there's there's not a Christmas song that's more joyful and full of excitement than that song. I wouldn't say, mate. Yeah, I mean, it touches on what we all want. We all wish it could be Christmas every day. Not a lot would get done, and the economy would crash into a black hole of recession but yeah it's um yeah it's just brilliant like i like the video as well just massively overly christmasy it's just um and the little talk talking back to memories and all that kind of thing um 
Yeah, I mean, it's just an absolute staple, isn't it? It's one of those sort of middle-of-the-road Christmas songs. There, It's not going to be anyone's number one, but it will always be in the top five. Yeah, no, very good choice, mate. And not to forget, you hear a tiny little fart during that song as well, which always uh, relates to our humour, mate, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) My number four, uh, Graham, very, very popular Christmas song that I'm sure is probably in a lot of people's top fives, if not number one for them, but it's All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. Very, very festive little number and and one of my favourites to listen to at this time of year. Absolutely, mate. Very much on my uh, my number three, actually, on mine. So, um, yeah, just a very. It's just got that iconic intro, hasn't it, with the um, with the old bells. It does. Um, and she just sings. She sings a song of great joy, doesn't Ryan? She sings it very, very well. She does. It's, it's a typical, you can imagine, end of the night drunken Christmas party where many a many a person has copped off with the person he fancied in the Christmas office. To all I want for Christmas is you, mate. Absolutely, mate. And of course, a very high note at the end where many a beer is raised to the sky. Aye. Yes. It's like she's here with us, mate. Absolutely, mate. Fantastic fantastic choice, that one. Um, That song has, I believe, I'm going to confirm this for you, but has only just reached Christmas um, UK number one in the charts. Oh, really? What, this year? For the first time, I believe, I'm going to double-check it. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You reaches UK number one after 26 years. That's ridiculous. 26 years. It was never number one in the past, but well done to her. Unbelievable. It in. Must have very much hit a nerve this, this year with everything that's been going down. I'll tell you what, mate. If you, were a, if you were a singer-songwriter and you could make yourself a little Christmas song that was popular... You'd never go hungry again, would you? Every year the royalties pouring in from a replayed oh. Christmas song, just in for pe- for all of eternity in perpetuity, just getting your uh, money back. Oh, Absolutely really. time timeless, isn't it? Right. Very good. So yeah, um, so that that was your number. That was my number four, mate. I think you said it was your number three. So is it back to me for my number three? I think. Yeah, it is. So, number three, again, a very timeless classic, mate, and one that um, I'm sure is in a lot of people's, but Last Christmas by Wham. Old Judge mm. Michael, bless him, oh, no yeah. longer with us. This is my other half's favourite Christmas song, or at least one of them. Um, but again, in a similar vein to Mariah, that it's very iconic music video for it, with a very handsome George yeah. Michael in the 80s, yeah. frighteningly handsome man. Um, and just, yeah, just a tale of woe and heartbreak, which everyone always loves a bit of that in the Christmas songs. And that's going to be a theme that runs through my choices in number one and two, mate. Those kind of more melancholy um, mm. kind of Christmas songs, you know, heartache and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we recently watched that um, last Christmas with Amelia Clark, which is very much based on um, themes in that song, which, yeah, that's it's. I mean, it's not a classic Christmas film, but it was an in- enjoyable watch. I'm not sure if you've seen seen that one. I haven't, mate. I have seen it on the old Sky movies. And, yeah, um, yeah it, it may get a watch. Who knows? Yeah, it's just a nice to watch. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I was just very... a bit with, with Amelia Clark, you know, big fan of Game of Thrones, but not that big a fan of her as an actress, just to put it out. I think she can be a bit wooden. But... Yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's a very simple film. So I just, I don't, she's very much stretched in this film to... 
her artistic ability. But yeah, Last Christmas, very, very good, good song, as you said, all very retro. Mm. Um, yeah, brilliant. So that would leave lead us on to our number two. It would, mate. What have you got? So I, I believe in Father Christmas by Greg Lake. Ah, oh, what a beautiful song. Yeah, nice little cynical sort of look at, um, look at Christmas where he's sort of um doubting everything and all that he's promised when in fact it's all a sham about the like commercialization of Christmas thing, Christmas and things like that. But it's got just that iconic little uh, melody, hasn't it? Yeah, really, really nice, really nice um, song by the old Greg Lake, who I believe is also the late Greg Lake as well. I believe he um, passed away not long ago. Uh, Yep, so that's my number two. Number two for me then, mate, is Darlene Love singing Christmas, Oh Baby, Please Come Home. A powerhouse of um, emotion and tale of loss and and love unrequited and all that kind of thing but yeah absolutely love that um song mate the old christmas the snow's falling down what an absolutely beautiful little song what a treat for us all that was there tom thank you very much mate not a patch on old darlene though free christmas present to you all there yeah. from us to you um so you keep naming all these highbrow christmas songs tom and my number one fairy tale of new york well, so is mine, mate. So we yeah. were both aligned on the last one as I expected us to be, mate. Why, why is it your number one? Oh, well, it's it's one of those songs. It's, it's, it's again, like um, Mariah Carey's one. It's just got the very iconic intro, aren't it? The very iconic piano intro. It and has. this And this couple, they're not getting on, but it's Christmas, so they say bollocks to it. <laughs> yeah. The boys of the MIPD choir sing Galwyn Bear and the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day. It is a very melancholy song, isn't it? But just for me, there's I, I think everybody's like this, but particularly for me, I always feel nostalgic about everything, even things that I wasn't around for. And, you know, obviously this one, I want to say is meant to be set in maybe the the music video, what, maybe early 1900s or something, is it, you know, migrants who've gone over to New York and things have gone not too well for them. You know, this is my assumption anyway, based on when I've seen it. But, yeah, just such a beautiful, haunted, melancholy little song of falling out and still being together on Christmas, isn't it? Mm. Merry Christmas, Tiaras. Let's hope, God, it's our last. Yeah, Brilliant. Not Very that happy good. one another. <laughs> and just <laughs> the outro as well. It's just so... It just makes you just want to be around friends in a pub. Absolutely. I was just, just about to say, mate, if you could choose to be in a pub Christmas Eve and the snow's falling outside and you've got a roaring fire, that is the song you'd want to be playing, isn't it? You'd want Fairy Tale of New York. And I believe me and you experienced that many moons ago. Oh. Me and Graham used to work at Marks and Spencer's and I think we'd worked the, the what had it been, five till four shift on Christmas Eve mm-hmm. or something like that. It was a long that. one. We got finished... We got our cheap basket full of uh, Christmas food, didn't we, that they were doing for a fiver? Well, I didn't. Sent... I, I legged it. I legged <laughs> it home, got changed, came and back we, out again. And we met and went for a festive Christmas Eve pint or two in the Merchant Pub in Scar the Irish Bar, Roaring Fire, that song playing, mate. And that'll be a good, what, seven, eight years ago now, probably. Maybe more. Many. Almost our childhood, it would seem yeah. to be that long ago. 
But absolutely, eh? Cannot beat a good roaring fire, fairy tale in New York, and a fine hand pulled ale. Right. So that is our Christmas music list, mate, isn't it? Yeah. So. Is there, is there any honourable mentions that you've got particularly? I've noted a couple down myself, just the ones that, while they're not in my top five, are ones that I really like. So driving mm. home for Christmas. Oh, I absolutely. Love hearing that. You know, last day of work. In your final 20 minutes of your shift, that's a song yeah. I want to hear playing, isn't it? Not massively appropriate this year, where it's more like just going downstairs for Christmas. Walking downstairs no one... for Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> leaving the room for Christmas. Yeah. Um, got, a, got a little shout out to Michael Bublé as well, haven't you? Yeah, Who he's got his Christmas albums brilliant. Yeah, do like the old Michael. Yeah. Um, Santa got, Baby. Uh, yeah, Santa Baby. Very... Uh, very nice little Christmas song. Um, Happy Christmas, The War Is Over, John Lennon. It's another one that I always like to listen to this time of year. Mm, absolutely. That song just reminds me of when we had Chris, Christmas dinner at primary school. Yeah. Just that, I just remember that song. Just I was stood in the dining room. All the tables had the Christmas decks on and stuff, just waiting for my Christmas dinner. Just that song always brings back that memory. <laughs> Good job, mate. Yeah. Lots of very good songs that could have been on the list, but there's just a few that um, jumped out to me. Lovely stuff. Brilliant. So, so when me and Tom Rogers were of a ripe old similar age in the 90s, as you said, probably the best decade of Christmas before, yeah. as you said, everything got di- di- digital um, and it was all board, board games and people spoke to each other. Yeah. So Tom, tell tell me, tell me what Christmas was like as little Tom Rod Rogers. It's difficult as an adult, mate, isn't it, to really be able to to get that feeling back of when you actually believe that Santa was a real thing. And I'm sorry if there's any younger listeners listening to this who've just had their um, hopes and dreams dashed. But, Christmas is ruined. <laughs> yeah. But w- when you actually had that belief that Santa really was going around the world, he was on his way to bring you presents, you just cannot describe that magical feeling, can you, that you had as a kid and that wonder and the excitement of just before Christmas on Christmas Eve, getting to bed and wanting to just to be the next day so you could see what he brought you absolutely did you ever go online and look at the santa tracker i think to be honest it was probably a bit beyond my time of believing in santa perhaps when such things were around because i remember we Mm. had in in 1995 we had a uh, well we had a windows 95 computer and i I don't even know if we'd have had internet on it to be honest I, i don't remember really internet until i was sort of 10 or older to be honest so not not something that i can remember doing when i was younger anyway that one mate no yeah it was just a silly thing saying oh where's santa he can track his sleigh around the world um but yeah things were just so so simple back back then it reminds me of this um mum and dad have got this home the classic home videos 90s home videos with a little time stamp in the corner and um, when they used to have chickens and I walked into the room and one of my, I think it was my mum was hiding in, in an empty sack. So I walked into the room and this sack started moving about. <laughs> and I was a baby thinking, what the hell is that? <laughs> and my mum revealed her to herself and it was all, all very, all very nine, nine is that. Yeah. 
maybe you wouldn't do that anymore. But um, yeah, it's just so, something so t- touching about our childhood Christmases. There is, mate. I, I think, you know, for me, when I was a young lad, obviously I was the youngest of three boys and, you know, they'd probably have known by the time I was cognizant of Christmas that it wasn't real and for quite a few years they obviously helped keep it all going and um, you know, you'd go to bed the night before, you'd put the carrot and biscuit and glass of milk out for Santa and I used to wake up hideously early on Christmas, it would be sort of half or five o'clock in the morning I'd be waking up, getting up and getting all excited but the, you know memory's a strange thing mate isn't it? and I was thinking about this today in advance of doing this recording I always remember getting up really early and my mum maybe got up with me and I must have maybe had one gift at that point to keep me busy because I remember unwrapping some things and playing with them. But then another tradition in the Rogers household was always that we had to have breakfast before you were allowed to open your gifts, which was absolute fucking torture, mate. Torture. That's just silly. Presents first. Yeah, no, in our household. Used to wake up absolutely first thing in the morning. First thing, because you're all excited, and you used to run downstairs, and no one was up. Get up! Yeah. Presents. Yeah, not in the Rogers household. It was a strict regime mate, of breakfast had to be had. Then we'd all sit around and get presents. But on the flip side, I do remember getting presents um, early morning. So I don't know. My, my, I'd have to ask my mum and re- try and remember what what happened. We were maybe allowed one or two gifts and then opened the rest of them later on. Um, maybe it was that we opened gifts from family after breakfast, but we had the Santa gifts before, maybe, I don't know. But, um, yeah, we used to that. used to get up really early. Just It was just mint when you used to get toys, wasn't it? And you'd get them out of the box if you got yeah. Lego or action figures and you had to build things and just that excitement of having something to focus on for hours throughout the day. Um mm. You know, building your Lego sets. I remember getting the Harry Potter Lego castle one year, just spending hours sat building that with Christmas films on the telly and stuff. Yeah, I started a little collection of Guinness Book of Records as a kid. Ah, I remember, you, remember having them as presents and just reading all the, reading about all all the silly world records in this massive hardback book. Um, and there was there was of course the PlayStation One day, wasn't it? When we got was. when we got got that. Um. Yeah. Yeah. We used to get up first thing presents, and then the rest of the day was just presents. Well, just playing with the presents really until Christmas yeah. dinner. I think um one thing that jumps out to me that I always used to really look forward to at Christmas as well. It wasn't necessarily just Christmas Day, but seeing family that you maybe wouldn't see other times of the year. So. My mum's one of four, so she's got three brothers. And over the Christmas period, one of my uncles had come up from Birmingham. We'd only ever see him at Christmas. And he was favourite uncle at the time. And you know, he'd come up and it would be great to see him. And you know, you'd get your gifts from everybody. And, yeah, just really nice always to see cousins and aunts and uncles that you maybe wouldn't see at other times of years. And I always had a tradition as well, um, just before Christmas, um, usually the weekend before Christmas when we'd broken up from school I'd go through to my grandma's with my cousins and would stay over for a night or you know would maybe be there for a day and I'd stay over the night and we'd have like a little Christmas party so my grandma would get to spend like Christmas a Christmas day in effect with all of the grandkids because then she as all grandparents always do mate would rotate every year and go to a different um, different family's house for Christmas oddly so I don't ever recall any family member ever coming to our house or us ever going anywhere else. 
Maybe because we were snowed in. <laughs> yeah. Maybe no one would come or we could go even if we want, wanted to. But no, it was always me, me, my sister Lucy, mum and dad. And it yeah. was always very, very nice. Um, so yeah, mum was in the in the kitchen half the day. Yeah, my, uh, in, in the younger days, mum definitely was in the kitchen. As years have gone by, though, my old man's become quite a dab hand in the kitchen. Used mm-hmm. to, when he looked after us on a Sunday, he'd burn fucking fish fingers and chips. But as the years have gone by, he's learnt um, from from mum and become quite a dab hand in the kitchen. So in later years, he started to definitely get more involved and help. But yeah, definitely same thing where, you know, half the day, bless her for mum, would be spent in the kitchen cooking. Yeah, bless bless the little hearts, slaving away, making the best Christmas dinner since last year's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just Christmas films, not film, games. Um, yeah. And you cannot beat the Christmas Day nap either. You can't, mate, no. Or the Christmas Day post-Christmas meal where you think you couldn't possibly eat anything else. And it gets a couple of hours after it. And the old selection box gets broken. Oh. Before you know it, you, you're uh, halfway through your selection box on Christmas Day after your big meal. Christmas pudding, yes or no? No for me, mate. Oh, yeah, love no. it. Yeah. Nice and hot with, with a nice dollop of, dollop of cream. Absolutely yeah. delightful. Mince pie. Hot Not mince, a fan mince pies. pies, mate. Hot mince pies with cream. One of my most favourite desserts ever. Not, I've never been a fan of Christmas pudding or mince pies, mate, which is... Uh, but you did like turkey, did yeah. <laughs> no, I do like the old Christmas dinner. For like pigs in blankets, stuffing. I think um, what I was going to ask you, mate, is obviously we've got our memories of Christmas, but I have a few things to share with you as, as I got a bit older as well. So hopefully when I share a few of these with you, mate, you know, there might have been some traditions that have come in as you've grown up and gotten a bit older, mate, not just as a kid, so... Yeah. As, as, I, as I become older for me Christmas is all about the build up Christmas Day mm. itself it, unfortunately you know the way my family's you know, two brothers they've now got their own kids and Christmas Day usually is just for the last few years you know, it's been me mum and dad and, and until recently grandma as well but unfortunately she passed it a year or two back and um, Christmas Day itself and hopefully mum and dad will never listen to this but it's gotten a bit boring the actual day for me. You don't want it. To, yeah. and... You don't. You don't want it to come because you don't want it to be over. But that's it as well because it's that disappointment, isn't it? Of the build-ups, the magical bit of the excitement afterwards. It's all a bit depressing, isn't it? Because mm, it goes too fast, doesn't it? The Christmas day goes too quick. It does. So for me, it's all about the build-up, trying to make the most of it and do as many Christmassy things as you can in the lead-up to Christmas, so that you don't regret it when it comes. Because once that day is gone. Once Christmas Day has passed, I won't watch a Christmas film beyond that point. I watch festive things, but not. No. I wouldn't sit and watch a Christmas film beyond Christmas Day. It's, it's, it's been and gone by then. You're right, uh, because the theme of the films is a build-up to Christmas, isn't it? And it's it like, well, I'm not, I'm not experiencing that myself anymore. So Yeah, the, the magic is broken at that point. You've got to wait a whole of the year. So I always oh. try and do everything I can in the build-up to... to <laughs> get the excitement going and and one yeah. thing for this year mate, i'm going to try make the most of on christmas day because i've also had a bit of a tradition and not a good one in recent years of every christmas day i'm always 
full of cold. So the last two or three years, I've not enjoyed my Christmas dinner because I've been full of cold and not been able to taste it. So, A, with the fact that we're quarantined away from people, I'm hoping I won't get sick because I'm not going to be seeing people to get ill. But secondly, I'm going to really try to make the most of this Christmas day. Um, it's only going to be me and Dad for the majority of the day because Mum is a nurse and she's at work on Christmas Day until about three o'clock. But this will be the last Christmas of the old ways because obviously from next year mate, I'm going to have a little one of my own and yes. we're going to start to host yeah. Christmas from next year so Christmas is going to be at our house from next year I love a big family Christmas the best Christmases were always when my brothers were there their kids were there their partners the house full of people on Christmas Day that's what Christmas should be and from next year with me hosting it Tiff's family are going to come, hopefully my family, you know, are going to be invited and we're going to try and get that back a bit. So at the same time, I'm going to really try and enjoy the last ever traditional Christmas as, as I've always known it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You'll have to do a Joey Tribbiani and have your very own ter- turkey. Yeah. It's like, right, I'm not, I'm not ill this year. I'm going to finish this turkey all to myself. Absolutely. Right. I'm going to make, make the most Stuff of it. Yourself. Um, one other little tradition to share, well, two other quick traditions to share with you, maybe before I open up to you. Um, me, I've, I've mentioned him a few times, but a very good friend of mine, uh, Luke, for years from being, you know, mid-teens to to now both been in our 30s, every Christmas we try and do something that we refer to as saving Christmas. When we were kids, it was we'd get together at one another's house, watch loads of Christmas films. We'd always try and make some disgusting, sweet food, you know. I remember one year trying to make Rice Krispie Squares and Mum coming home to us decimating one of her favourite bowls with all this sticky crap in it of chocolate and whatnot. And yeah, we, we, we still keep that tradition alive, mate, of saving Christmas. And we're going to do it virtually this year, mate. Going to yeah. get him on Skype and we're going to watch a couple of films together one day in the lead up to Christmas. Very, very nice to meet. You'll have to do a Home Alone elf um, meal for yourselves. A little bowl of pasta with yeah, yeah. liquid ton of syrup. Yeah, why not? But well, that's what we're going to do. And, and the very other nice one, just to, to share with you, mate, is one of my traditions as I've gotten older is I always like to wrap my presents watching It's a Wonderful Life with a little glass of whiskey and Coke mm. as I do it, mate. That's a mm. little tradition I've had. So I'm going to shut up because I've not stopped talking. <laughs> what about you as an adult, mate? Any new tradition? As I've grown, my tradition has become so dull to a third party, but armchair, little box of ales and films. And that was that is just a happy Christmas day for me. Last year, um, I was living with mum and dad last year because we were we'd moved out of the flat and we were um, waiting to move into a house. Uh, and Emma spent it with my um, my mum and dad. So um, it's become a thing where my mum's like, "Oh, should we take the dogs out for a walk on the Scarborough Beach?" Well, no, because that's a half hour drive there. That's about a two hour walk and half hour drive back. So I'm not losing my entire Christmas morning walking dogs. No, so we'll she, do day, yeah. <laughs> no, don't want So they went off and I stayed at home. Um, so last year it got to about eight o'clock and I started to feel a bit nauseous. And I was literally physically sick because I'd eaten and drunk <laughs> that much. I was literally dictionary definition full. And I think I tried to eat something else and my body was just like, no, no, 
you're not having that. We're going to get rid of all of it. So I was violently sick, which was quite funny, to be honest. Um, so yeah, it's all it's all very very. Our Christmases have always been placid, and I've taken that approach ever since. So um, this year the in-laws come around, so it's our first first ever. I'm going to count it first ever grown-up adult Christmas Christmas for me because I'm going to be hosting at 32 oh, wow. years old. So yeah, I'm going to be cooking the old Chris, Christmas dinner, get the house all sorted out and tidy. Um, Emma's preparing a starter, because I wasn't going to do a starter, to be honest, but she's doing a starter of Parma ham and melon. Parma ham and melon. Because um, Emma's Sicilian, so I imagine that's the Mediterranean um, side of Christmas that will be enjoyed. So Our grand stuff, mate. Yep, so they they have lasagna on Christmas Day as well. I'm not doing a freaking lasagna. I'm not doing a turkey dinner and, and the lasagna. lasagna. Um, so I said to Emma, maybe she could do that on Christmas Eve. Because their, their Christmases are very much like the Home Alone one. Where yeah. it's all the family in one house and they just eat like several courses of food all day. They have yeah, fish and pasta and the traditional turkey stuff and... I went there um, a couple of years ago and they ate fennel. <laughs> yeah, so that's that was very much a hands-on Christmas, lots of games and stuff. So, yeah, I'm very much a liker of the old, just a very quiet Christmas. But we'll see. I'm looking forward to this year being a host. Yeah. Um, bit all creative, make it a very nice. Um, because I feel sorry for um, for mum especially, because as I said, they always go down south and have a big family Christmas, but they're not able to this year because of... The old COVID, so yeah, it'd be a nice yeah. little treat, creating a nice little winter, winter wonderland for us all. Good stuff, mate. Well, I'll be looking for tips from you next year when I come to cook Christmas dinner, mate. So, uh, mm. yeah, good stuff. Yes, I've got a turkey butterfly because I'm not getting like a full-on turkey. So it's like a big turkey crown, like a big tur- turkey crown butterfly wrapped in bacon. And what I'm trying to do, Tom, interestingly... I'm trying to source all the Christmas food, all from um, local veg shops and butchers. Try not to go to test. Try not to go to test Tesco for any of it, Um, because we've got the old turkey turkey butterfly from the butchers. So, and there's quite there's quite a good veg shop. So I'm trying to keep local. Good man, that's very good of you, mate. I'm sure it'll taste all the better for it. Which means I'm gonna have to do very much homemade stuffing, which I've never done before, but. Well, if you're after a recipe, mate, for homemade stuffing, I will share one with you gladly. My grandma, as I've said, unfortunately, is no longer with us. He's still with us every day on Christmas because we always use her patented um, stuffing recipe that is absolutely stunning, mate. The best stuffing you'll ever have. So if you want it after this, we'll have a nap and I'll get the recipe off my mum for you, mate, because it's uh, all Grandma Sylvia's stuffing recipe and it's uh still here in spirit at christmas mate sounds worth it's waiting in uh gold that mate right. but other than that yeah i think i should be able to source everything that's needed good stuff well i think so, yeah. um the final tradition i wanted to just very quickly mention to you that i've not done in a few years but it's nicely cyclical and it brings us all the way back to computer games which is our bread and butter but on christmas day for a few years in my later teen years and my older brother rich is kind of 
early 20s on Christmas Day would always have a quick game on FIFA and the loser had to uh, tell mum that uh, dinner was a bit shit and the turkey was right. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be glad to know, mate, I never had to tell her once. It was always him because I was beating because he's shit. Oh, then <laughs> obviously the pressure got to him. Yeah, that's it. Bottled it, mate, and he had to tell mum her Christmas dinner was dry and shit. How could he? <laughs> what a terrible thing to do, Richard. <laughs> Slaving away all them hours and that's that's the thanks she gets. Aye. But that's very, it, I think, for good. Christmas, mate, and it? We're going to move on a little bit to current news and uh, and then I've got a little poem just to end the the recording nice. with my little festive poem for you. So before we get on to the news, I had to have a little search um, to combine Christmas and games. And I found a game which has become notoriously the worst Christmas console game ever. Mm. Now, it was for the Game Boy Advance and it was called Santa Claus Saves the Earth. And so I went on to this game. I went on to a little gameplay um, video of it on YouTube. And it's got an intro cutscene with words, which I'm going to read out Go on, then, to man. set the scene of this abysmal game. Wow, only one day left until Christmas. Thousands of little children are waiting for Santa Claus. Meanwhile, under the ground lived a wicked fairy, Neelam. She had a magic copper where she could see everything that happens in the whole world. Today, when she looked into her copper, she saw Santa Claus packing presents for all the children in the world. She became furious. How can this happen? screamed Neelam. I cannot let all the children in the world have presents. So Fairy Neelam enchanted Santa Claus and he is trapped in her magic lands. Only a few hours left until Christmas. Help Santa Claus to escape from the magic land. Well, I've got questions. Mm. Why can't she let all the children in the world have presents? That's not explored. Underdeveloped, some, mate, that, isn't it? Just some bitter old fairy called Neelam. Ah, fuck off, Neelam. Stupid Behave. Name. So, yeah, she's got a problem with everybody having presents. So she looks in a copper and there you go. I had a look on the game. It's just a very terrible platformer where Santa Claus's weapon is his sack that he just swings around enemies' heads. Just beats people to death with his big Christmas sack of presents. <laughs> the old Christmas sack. <laughs> the old Christmas sack. Oh dear, sir. If you've ever played that game, I doubt anybody has or will ever. It's not even available on Amazon at the moment. Maybe it's sold out because people don't get PlayStation 5, so... The next best thing is a Game Boy Advance with this game, obviously. So, well, if any of you... sounds fucking dreadful. <laughs> it looked dreadful. Yeah, if anyone's played this game, please let us know how you got on with it. I'm sure we'll hear from uh, lots of people on that one, mate. <laughs> no, on on the topic of really shit, weird Christmas things, and this kind of plays into current news, I guess. Uh, apologies for the awkward segue, but have you seen this week the? advert that's been condemned by critics the nhs charity advert which shows medics saving santa from coronavirus oh my good lord <laughs> Got this elderly bearded man dying in bed being saved by the nhs and like kids don't want to see that like crying their eyes out at santa bloody sick in bed haven't they been through enough <laughs> cancelled holidays to disney world <laughs> not being able to see the cousins at Christmas and now Santa's dead of coronavirus. Yeah. It's 
I just wanted to share that one. It did make me laugh. <laughs> Distraught kids at the advert. I I'll learn them. Right. Very good. So, yeah. So, bringing it all the way back to today. News. This is mm. the news. Welcome. So, where is my news? So, yeah. So, um, first of all, we'll get it out of the way. Um, Cyberpunk released, didn't, didn't it? It did, mate, it's, yeah. It's been released to a rather frosty reception. Um, now, all games are released, well, they shouldn't be, but they seem to be, <laughs> released with a few gl- glitches. I know um, Assassin's Creed did, uh, Valhalla, uh, but none of seems to have been to such a terrible impact as this. Um, so much so that the cyberpunk developers have seen their stock um, stock prices drop 29%. Now, I believe it's only like the PS4 version which has experienced these um, terrible glitches where they've been graphics have been compared to um, PS1 graphics um, and surfaces. I watched a video of this guy who was traveling through the city and this he stopped and he sat and waited for this surface to render. It was at the side of a building and it took a good 30 seconds. It's like, what on earth is going on here? So Tom's mm. um, delved into the game and actually played it. So Tom, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so um, I've played it probably for maybe three or four hours so far. So I'm sure next week on our PS2 retrospective, I'll probably have a few more clear ideas to share. But look, in the build-up to this game, I, I said last week, it was one I was really looking forward to. And as the game dropped this week and review embargo started lifting, I was reading a lot about the game in advance of playing it myself. And there was a few odd things from the off, mate. Firstly, CD Projekt Red, who made this game and also famous for making um, The Witcher, which was very um, popular a few years ago, for the review codes they sent out to kind of main publications and reviewers, they only sent PC codes, which immediately kind of started alarm bells ringing for people that, in theory, for high-end gamers and reviewers, your PC is always going to be the best thing to play something on because it's probably got the most powerful spec of any of the machines you'll play it on. And even on PC, the reviews I listened to, of the ones that I like and and that are popular, um, said it was a really good game. They really enjoyed the, the ideas behind it and the narrative, but that it had an awful lot of bugs in it. And this was even on the PC that, you know, really random bugs of, like you say, draw distances not being great and characters disappearing and going into weird poses and just generally not being too smooth now obviously the game released on thursday and with it quite a few like launch day patches for the game which i think has stabilized the pc version quite well i think i think it's worth saying for me personally i'm playing this on ps5 there isn't a specific ps5 patch yet for this game but it does run better on a ps5 than it will on a ps4 and my experience maybe four or five hours in is that look this game is definitely a ps4 game in terms of graphics as it currently stands on if you even play it on ps5 and i imagine if you're playing it on ps4 or ps4 pro it'll look comparable if slightly worse and obviously the speed and performance on ps5 is a lot stronger than it is on ps4 pro or ps4 so 
even with all those things considered, the game, like I say, it doesn't look overwhelmingly great in terms of graphics on what I'm playing it on. Counterverse to that, I was speaking to someone I know who was playing on PC, and they said it looked outstanding on their high-end PC. So hopefully, as they release more patches, the, the visual look and feel of it will improve. It's by no means a bad game, from what I've personally experienced. I think you know comparisons to PS1 or PS2 graphics are quite unfair, but there's definitely some rough edges in places on it for such a huge game. Um I've come across a couple of bugs, but so far nothing outrageous. You know, for example, there was one bit where you can call your car to automatically drive back to you in the same way you'd kind of call a horse on Red Dead Redemption or The Witcher. And when it arrived, it was kind of like three foot off the floor inexplicably. And I've had a few weird, like when you've killed a character, like weird kind of you know, when the bodies go really strange when you go near them and they, like, jut out in weird positions and go real ragdoll. So some kind of little bits that you'd probably expect in a game this size. But, yeah, I mean, from what you're saying and the the fact their stock price has taken such a hit, mate, I can only imagine that when playing it on last-gen consoles, performance is going to be worse than what I've experienced. And even on PS5, it definitely hasn't been without its issues. What it I makes me wonder, that. like, because this seems glitches seem to just be a commonplace thing. Like, when they're doing these quality checks of the games, are they just not doing them just because they want to hit the release date and they'll just patch it out later? Or, well, it's know. a strange moment because this game was delayed several times to meet this release date. You know, they, they'd already pushed it back quite considerably. This game, and it's good that they did because it just makes you wonder what state was it in before coming out. Now I'm very conflicted on this one in that part of me thinks, yeah, if you release a game, it should be perfect from day one on the flip side of that. It is a massive game. This there's no denying in terms of the size of the map and the multitude of things you can do in it. It is outstandingly big. And, and I think, you know, from a positive standpoint, what I'd say is that the story that I played of it so far is excellent. Like I love the world. I love the setting. The gameplay is quite fun. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of a first person view of a game, you know, where you've just kind of got your gun or hands in front of you, but I am enjoying it. And, nothing that has happened for me playing it so far has been bad enough to make me think, God, this is really bad that they've released it in the shape. There's just been the odd rough edge here or there. But if that isn't the experience of other people, it does make you question, well, take longer, release it later. But then there'll be a lot of pressure from them and their publishers and partners to probably get it out and start making some money back from me. Um, yeah. the, the final point I'll make on this one anyway, mate, is that what I would say is, look, CD projects showed with The Witcher that they are extremely customer-friendly um, makers of games. They released an awful lot of extra content um, for The Witcher and supported the stability and patching of it. Um, I would expect to see the exact same with Cyberpunk. This is something that they'll continue to support and fix and make sure it gets better and better. And Look, if you're not urgently desperate to play this game, I would recommend wait six months. And I reckon the game you play in six months' time will be night and day different to what it is right now. Um, it probably will be that, because as I said, I'm playing Valhalla at the moment, and the amount of faffing and messing around I'm doing on that game and not even focusing on the main story means I probably won't play Cyberpunk until 2077. Yeah, well, there you go, mate. So by that point, it'll be everything that people probably <laughs> hoped it would be at launch. But yeah, if you've got a new next-gen console, I'd say and you're not desperate to play it, wait till that version comes out, wait till it gets a bit more stable. If you don't mind the odd rough edge 
and you may be playing on the next-gen consoles at the moment, there's nothing for me that would make me say, don't get it if you're really eager to play it, based on what I've come across. The, the only other thing I'd say actually is, I have had a couple of instances of the game crashing, which is a bit frustrating. Um, it's the first game I've played on PS5 that actually still has a load screen, which is probably because of the fact that it's... Uh, an actual PS4 game, just been playing the console, but the load times for me in between certain sections are about five to seven seconds. So on PS5, it is still pretty quick. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts so far, mate. Very good. Um, yeah, I've seen um, a couple of gameplay videos. Um, the stark nudity of your character when you're making a character yeah, at the start. Because yeah. um, one of the glitches is like, your character's running around and he's just running around with his wang out. Yeah, his, I've seen through a his, few. Through uh, his trousers, yeah. Yeah, I've seen a few. Yeah, um, yeah, so by the time I get it, hopefully it'll all be ironed out for me. I'm and sure only me. Yeah. yeah, just be very... Lovely. So the other news I have, there's just a couple of really quite silly things, really. Um, so the PlayStation 5 had the biggest console launch month in US history. Wow. Which I guess was to be expected. It's been eagerly anticipated. People want a nice console to play during lockdown. Um, so there we go. Um, any wrestling fans out there? Any Gears of War fans out there? Gears of War 5 has added the new day as characters. Um, in recent pay-per-view, the new day came out in um, Gears of War. Sort of those mechanical suit things. So Yeah. We should talk more about wrestling, Tom. We'll have Maybe to do when a, we... a couple of episodes on wrestling, mate, I think. Absolutely. When we talk about um, wrestling games for the PS2, etc., we shall touch upon it. Um, any more news for you, Thomas? No, I don't think so, mate. Just that, obviously, today, in about two hours' time, the big Manchester derby kicks off, mate. Your beloved Manchester uh, United taking on Man City. How are you feeling? Um, well... You know what I'm feeling. It's a game that we're expecting to lose, so we'll probably win. It's the games that we're expected to win that we lose. Because um, we won, we lost in midweek, didn't we, to Leipzig, Leipzig yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, where we lost to them. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's on, on the, um, the tightrope again. So it just seems to be whenever he's on the absolute edge of being pushed off the cliff he seems to scramble his way back up again much like indiana jones in indiana jones the last crusade when he falls off his tank and just (laughs) (laughs) climbs back up and gets his hat back and oh go on then you give you another chance Uh, um so it's likely we'll beat man city then we'll lose our next game against some lower table team but yeah I'm, i'm i'm looking forward to it i'll um, can't be a good Manchester derby regardless of the results. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. Look, you know, I'll be hoping Manchester United win today because you know we can all the points City drop in theory is better for us. I think you're right in terms of. I know in the last couple of years, even you've had some pretty good results against City and um, you know odd performances where you'd expect them to win and form goes out the window. But there must be a few of those United players, mate, who I bet have got a bit of fear just based on what Tottenham did to them early this season. And Man City are definitely a team that, if the mood strikes them, they can uh, cause a bit of havoc that we, we've found out in the past years, even been in as good a form as we've been, and we've been given the odd shellacking by City. 
Yeah, I remember I was with you when you um, they won five nil, didn't they? Against they did, they did. Yeah, um, sorry, we got never forget when we got smashed by them six six one. That that was a laugh, wasn't it? Um, so Aguero's on the bench, so we know what's going to happen there. Um, yeah, yeah, Cavani, who did not travel for the game, will be assessed. So. We shall see what happens. Form sometimes goes out the window with Derby's, doesn't it? Well, there's plenty of games, mate, in the past sort of 10 or 15 years where Liverpool have been in the doldrums and we'd always get ourselves up when it came to playing Man United and always put a performance in and got odd, um, unexpected wins. So you never know, mate. Like I said, I'll be hoping that you boys win. But on the flip side, if I see a bit of a drumming, I'll also have a little smile on my face, mate. So it's win-win for me, I think, this one. Very good game for the neutrals. Never a good game for support of, the rival, of either side. Well, I think uh, um, that's it for current news, unless there's anything you want to touch on before I close us out with a little uh, festive poem. That put yeah, that's it, mate. Um, just an urge to my football manager, Man United team, who um, mm. in the 2022-23 season won all the trophies. <laughs> Completed Literally all of the trophies. Premier League, League Cup, do you know what? With the League Cup, I was putting weak sides out to try and get eliminated because I didn't care about that. And they were still winning. Yeah, there we go. To Heath Chong on the right wing. Um, James Garner <laughs> in midfield, these reserve players. Who are, it must have just been the system. The, con- the, system, the tactics called control on Football Manager has, um, has done me very, very well. Uh, so, yeah, so I've not entirely sure what to do on Football Manager now because I can't really best that with Man United. So maybe time to take heed of a smaller club, perhaps. Yeah, I would recommend it, mate. I know um, I've been playing this year's version as well. We'll we'll probably do an episode on Football Manager maybe in the next couple of months. But um, playing it on laptop and I've uh, started with Crew Alexandra down in League One and just finished my first campaign with a mate and a very respectable seventh, seventh place finish. A run of very poor form at the end of season meant I missed out on the playoffs by just a couple of points. But truth be told, I don't think the squad was strong enough to go up to the championship. But little link back to Man City, mate. I've got Yaya Toure in defensive midfield for my Crew Alexandra team. And I've also got Jack Wilshire, who, believe it or not, is constantly bloody injured, mate. So it's <laughs> nice and realistic on that front. Very good. If you're around the Driffield area tomorrow, my open-top bus parade will take place <laughs> um, with all five trophies won in the one season um, on the bus. Uh, look, look forward to that. I enjoy yourself. So, man. Tom is going to <clears throat> play us out with a bit of prose. I am. So, just a bit of context this one, guys. I will make no apology for the fact this is puerile toilet humour, which is exactly mine and Graham's style. So, I wrote this um, little rendition and ditty for Graham a couple of weeks back and sent it to him, but I thought I'd share it on here. This is the first few verses of The Night Before Christmas, reimagined as The Shite Before Christmas. So I've got it framed on, on my wall. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Let's hope our listeners enjoy it as well. So here we go. Twas the shite. <laughs> Graham's laughing in the background. <laughs> I'm going to mirror myself because it's obviously very off-putting, off isn't it? Yeah, there we go. going to try and not look at Graham's face on camera as he laughs as I read this one out. Twas the shite before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, 
not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Lupin was nestled, all snug in his bed, while visions of juicy bones danced in his head, and Emma in a nighty and Graham in a lap had just settled in for their long winter's nap. When deep in his tummy there arose such a groan, he sprang from his bed, letting out a pained moan. <laughs> Sorry, I lost it midway through there. Away to the bathroom, he flew like a flash, tore open the door and began with a slash. The moon was abreast of the glistening white ball, gave a lustre of Jackson Pollock to the objects which fell below. When what did his wondering eyes did appear, but a gigantic turd and a horrible brown smear. <laughs> there we go Twas the shite before christmas magical <laughs> absolutely mag- magical mate we should sing it and release it <laughs> release <laughs> drop it as a, <laughs> as a uk number one be received with a plum i'm sure mate absolutely buy the single and receive a free bottle of toilet duck with every single sold. <laughs> yeah. Hope you all enjoyed that. Apologies if it was a little bit um, <laughs> puerile for some of you, but like I say, a little Christmas ditty to play us out. But um, Please leave us a re- review of Tom's um, verse. Yeah, let um, us know what you thought. Complain. Praise yeah. us. Whichever. It doesn't matter. All publicity is good publicity, mate. Excellent. So next week we're revisiting our timeline, aren't we? Mm. PlayStation Two. So again, let us know your favourite PlayStation Two two games um, experiences on the PlayStation Two, and we'll read them out. Cost we kind. So Tom, one thing left to say. Oh, oh right, man. Right, man. <laughs>